Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to talk with you after the show. So, Pad, where should everybody head to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website. You sign up on all the social media accounts, and we keep that conversation rolling all week to the next episode, even after that, too, because we just like talking with you, the ODPH Society. You can also check out the T Public store. You can also check out the Patreon link, one tier, $2 a month, and a lot of content on the way. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. They actually have their own section on the page. That's how much we care about them. So, you know, if you want to join the cool kids, it's easy to sign up and bam, right there you go. Also, you can check out the Parley Points blog section. You can check out the Classifieds, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and many more. You can check out the directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 412,000. So there's no reason that you can't find the show, drop a five-star review, share it with your friends, and enjoy all the content, because we're on every major podcast player that you can find, and even some of that we don't even know about. That's what we're getting told, so when we get told about one, we try adding it to the page. Boom, we make it that easy for you. Can't forget about the music section of the show, too. Basically, if there's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com, and always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to recap the penultimate. Are we already here? Yeah, we are. There's only one more episode Holy after this week. Holy smokes. The penultimate episode of Star Wars and Disney Plus's Runaway Smash Show, starring the one and only Pedro Pascal mm-hmm. as Din Djarin, otherwise known as The Mandalorian. Season three has been a very interesting season, to <coughs> say the least. Yes. A lot more criticism by fans online sure. than in recent memory, but I think it's been overwhelmingly received positive uh-huh. You know, by most of the fan base. I haven't heard too many people really gripe about the show. But the saga this season has definitely been one that's thrown a little bit of curveball to most Star Wars fans, let alone pop culture fans. Uh-huh. And going into this penultimate episode, we had a lot to think of. Where could they possibly end the season on? Well, we have that direction. Oh, boy, do we ever. So there's a lot to discuss about Episode 7 of Season 3, otherwise known as Chapter 23, The Spies. So if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. What we like to do is give a spoiler-free statement of the subject we are going to be talking about when we do our reviews. So we don't ruin anything for you, but you get an idea of what we thought of it. Then we give you a countdown. After said countdown, we go into full-blown spoilers. So you can't say... I didn't know about this. Oh, my gosh, the show's been ruined. We give you enough time to duck out, and we even timestamp it in the episode so you can watch the episode at your own leisure and then jump back in and hear what we thought, and then you let us know what you thought. Boom, that's what we call the conversation. So that being said, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement on the latest episode. Fantastic episode. Easily one of the best they've done this season and one of the best they've done, period. 
you know, everything about this, including the little Easter eggs for the old EU fans like myself, which I had to reach out to a couple friends and go, wait a minute, did I hear what I think I heard? You know, everything about it was awesome. And where we're going for the season finale and then into wherever we go from here, which we'll talk about later in the show, be it season four or the movie, you know, I am so goddamn excited for. I thought they tied up a lot of loose (laughs) threads that were scattered out through previous episodes very well into where we're heading now. I really like the direction that it's going in. But then again, knowing who was behind the script for this episode, and obviously if you know your Star Wars people, anytime you see Dave Filoni's name attached as a writer, Mm -hmm. you know that something big usually happens. I'm not going to say every time. Right. Because the last episode he wrote for the show uh, was okay. Not a home run per se, but it was enough that obviously was entertaining. But usually when you see that he's personally involved, there's something added to the show Mm -hmm. that really makes it pop off. This was in this episode. Yes. There's a lot that they really built in and sped up that I think maybe a lot, some people might not like as much, but I think overall they really set up things for what should be a mind blowing finale and all bets are off about who makes it out of this season alive. That being said in three, two, one, talk to me, Pat. This, like I said, this episode was absolutely fucking phenomenal, you know, with the setup and finally seeing Moff Gideon, you know, and seeing the, the Empire's Shadow Council, you know, the Imperial Shadow Council and, you know, hearing the name Thrawn finally mentioned and and he's coming back and the buildup and the setup and um, just, oh my God, everything about this was incredible. I thought they really hit the ground running. And what I mean, they they went at a pretty fast pace. I think to get to where they needed to be for the finale. Sure. They didn't really have a lot of filler time. No. Everything was placed perfectly. Yeah. To get things going, but they didn't dwell. Like, you know, sometimes, and we've talked about this in past episodes, at certain areas, they dwell a little bit too long. Sure. I don't think they did that with this episode. I thought it moved very briskly. I thought when we got to the end, maybe that moved just a little too fast. Mm-hmm. And with what transpired, it was a little too quick to soak in, like for the real emotional feel of it, because it was almost telegraphed. Mm-hmm. But it still was one of the stronger episodes we've seen this season and one of the strongest episodes they've had thus far in the franchise. Because as we jump in, we do see another familiar face that we saw in the quote unquote filler episode can we just call it that now i mean no because it as i said it turned out to be not filler right but it ended up playing a part in the story right it took a while to get here i'm gonna take a lap on that one yeah but it took a while to get here but it was the filler episode at the time oh sure and we see elia kane uh walking through the shadows Mm -hmm. to a secret location she's on coruscant yeah so she's on coruscant kitty m o'brien uh reprising the role and obviously is trying to connect to somebody and once she sneaks through to this hidden location, who is on the other end of the communications? Moff Gideon. Yes, so Giancarlo Esposito is back as Moff Gideon, who we did know escaped from the Jedi clutches. Well, not no, not the Jedi clutches, the New Republic's clutches, which mm, it, it, it was kind of like the worst kept secret that like 
He was supposed to have shown up at a tribunal. He never did, and nobody knows where he is. So it's like, okay, the the New Republic is just like, yeah, whatever. He's lost. He's no big deal. He's no threat. And we're sitting here going, all right, we know he's somewhere. Where the fuck is he? And we finally see him. Yes. I still blame the Jedis, though. Because usually there's one, it's Luke, and he's off doing his own thing. You know what, though? He still should be stepping the game up a little bit. Just putting it out there. He doesn't have to watch Groku. You know, what's he doing at this point? Enough said. Enough said. But we do see, though, Moff Gideon is having a conversation with Aliyah about the state of Navarro mm-hmm. and basically what the Mandalorians have been up to. And Aliyah Kane flat out says, listen, they're back to take Mandalore. Right. Well, and we also find out that the pirates that kept showing up were also hired by Moff Gideon through Aliyah Kane. Yeah. She was kind of like the intermediary between the two two uh, parties because... You know, Moff Gideon, who must have been on the lam someplace and not able to make radio communication, goes, oh, well, what about our plans to take Navarro? Well, she goes, oh, well, that fell through, you know. Oh, and he goes, oh, I thought I figured the New Republic wouldn't step in. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, they didn't. It was the Mandalorians. And then she brings up who, you know, the two factions that didn't. He goes, the hell, this doesn't make any sense. They hate each other. Yeah. So definitely planting some seeds for what happens later in this episode because Gideon is very aware of the importance of stopping the Mandalorians, especially if he sees them as a unified front. Right, and and he's certainly a a historian of battle and military stuff, and he knows how formidable the Mandalorians, when united, can be. Mm -hmm. So obviously this is going to halt some plans he has in motion so he calls a meeting of the Shadow Council. Mm-hmm. Now, Pat, what is the Shadow Council? So the Shadow Council, and I'm reading this off of the Star Wars uh, Wikipedia page, uh, quote, the Shadow Council was a council consisting of delegations from remnants of the Galactic Empire during the New Republic era. Members of the Shadow Council secretly coordinated their individual efforts to subvert the New Republic while they maintained an illusion as unorganized remnant warlords to conceal their two strengths. The body was made originally created by Fleet Admiral Gallus Rex in five years after the Battle of Yavin as a secret advisory council to govern the Empire from behind the scenes while supporting an official figurehead in the form of Grand Admiral Ray Sloan, who you saw some of this in the Battlefront 2 uh, video game. Mm. Uh, in secret, Rax uh, planned to eliminate then Shadow Council, uh, the then Shadow Council during the Battle of Jakku, with the exception of Commandant Brendel Hux, whom he regarded as essential to revitalizing the Empire. Close quote. So this was a council that was around following the defeat of the Empire. They kind of dissolved after the Battle of Jakku, which you can read in one of the novels. I forget which one it is. Um, and then they reformed right around this time now where, and they even bring this up during the meeting of the shadow council that like, Hey, is, you know, you, we got to stop doing what, some of what we're doing. Otherwise we're going to look real organized and we're not supposed to. Yeah. So it's obviously a very important meeting that is called and Gideon is laying out what has happened yep. and he is asking for help to take down the Mandalorians. Yeah. Now during this conversation, we'll just call it, mm-hmm. he does question a certain somebody about a few things. Mm-hmm. Pat, who is that certain somebody? Brendel Hux. Yes. Yeah, who the name might, might, might ring a slight bell, and that's because of the last name. Uh, Brendel Hux is the father of Armitage Hux, the redheaded gentleman from the sequel trilogies. Yes. That's his father. 
Yeah, I was not yeah. sure. I knew he looked familiar, but I couldn't place where. Yeah. And then obviously you're the encyclopedia for this. Yeah. So that's a big moment right then and there. Yep. But that also leads to Gideon asking about a certain somebody that has been officially announced. I, I guess I would say the one thing I will complain about this episode sure. is it didn't come out a week earlier before Celebration. Because mm-hmm. I think if that moment had happened a week prior mm-hmm. to what we know now, mm-hmm. I think the internet would have exploded. I mean, maybe, kind of, not really. See... I think it it absolutely would have. I know who you're talking about. We already knew he was out there someplace. We knew he was, but to hear that the first time, because I think some thunder was taken away from this announcement. Mm, maybe. So, I mean, I, I talked to a, f- a few fans, and they kind of said the same thing. But like I say, it didn't take anything away from the overall general excitement about hearing the name get dropped. Right. And who is that name? Grand Admiral Thrawn, who uh, rose to prominence from the Timothy Zahn novels of Heir to the Empire. In the, uh, God, I want to say 90s. Could be wrong. Uh, and then officially it was not a part of actual canon. And I'm not going to get into the whole canon thing with the old books and comics. That's a fucking three-hour show in and of itself. Look it up on your own time. Uh, but he officially entered canon when he was in season two, I want to say, two or three of uh, the Star Wars Rebels animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I say for me, it's not exactly a surprise he got name dropped and the announcements at Star Wars Celebration happened uh, is because given how the end of of Rebels go where he, spoiler alert, uh, but you're going to have to learn about this within the next six months anyway, uh, he gets t- taken off into space with Ezra alive mind mm. you he ain't this ain't a case of like oh he got chopped in half and thrown down a reactor shaft and well what the hell happened no he's he's alive you know so it's a case of they're not exactly going to leave him on the back burner and just be like oh yeah we forgot about this guy let's bring him up in this random comic no they're going to bring him in for something prominent so well here he is no it's a big moment but like i say i think had they waited or said did the episode a week prior i think it would have had more of an impact because <coughs> people already heard the announcement they might have teased that maybe we're going to get it sooner than later because we do know it's going to be Thrawn's going to be on a certain show. Well, the thing I do want to point out too, now that I think about it, they did air this episode the same night they announced some. Of, they had the big panel that was like an hour and a half yeah. with the television and movie announcements. So they did show it the same day. Yeah, over in Europe. Yeah, no, like I say, but just when you have to deal with a pop culture audience being as big as Star Wars is, I think it was a minor miscue. Yeah, maybe not the end of the world though, because obviously when you heard Thrawn's name get announced, and obviously there is a big buzz surrounding him, and the pop culture audience is going to get caught up super quick about this over the next year and a half. This is the time to really get on board and really start d- deep diving into that character because you're not going to be able to escape it when this gets rolling, right? So during this conversation, though, they're making plans to take out the Mandalorians, and obviously the council has a lot of things in mind. I also want to jump in and point out, hey, another little Easter egg for the old Legends EU fans. Uh, There's a name drop who, they didn't give the first name, but if you're familiar with it, you recognize the name. Uh, They mentioned Captain Pellion, who, yes, that is Glad Pellion, who was the captain and then rose through the ranks in the old Legends uh, storyline. So he's officially canon now. Hmm. Thought that was cool. Yeah, definitely is. Like I say, Filoni and, and Favreau went real all out for this episode Filoni and Favreau read some comics or some books of old Star Wars stuff and I fucking love it yeah well they're dedicated to really trying to make this into a moment moving <laughs> forward because obviously which we'll get into at the end of the segment 
with the finale coming up, they really want to make sure that they end things on such a huge note that the wave carries through to the right, next project. So. Right. Meanwhile. Well, quickly before we jump out of this scene, one more thing we got to bring up because this is going to pay off at some point. I don't know which series it's going to be in, but they bring up, and, and you knew it was going to come up because in the little, hey, previously on, they mm. brought the Dr. Pershing and what happened to him. Yeah. And they bring up, oh, what's the status on Dr. Pershing and, and his research? And Moff Gideon says, oh, well, he's been lost. Is there is that going to be a setback for Project Necromancer? Hmm. And, and they go, no, it won't be any issue. What the hell Project Necromancer is? Don't know, but I got a good guess. Yeah, I have one too. Yeah, uh, we know what necromancy usually involves. Bringing uh, things back from the dead. Who's currently in the uh, currently at this point in the story, quote unquote, dead? Uh, Palpatine. Yep. So me th- and especially since his uh, Doctor Pershing's research was dealing with cloning and cloning force sensitive beings. Uh, well, Palpatine is force sensitive, and he's dead, and they're looking to clone him. So, and we know what happens in the story. Yeah. Uh, so me thinks Project Necromancer has got something to do with. Uh, Palpatine coming back and at some point we'll figure out how the hell we got from he's dead to Snoke to that husk we saw in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, but baby steps first though. Yes. On Navarro though, you see Bo-Katan is now leading the party into go checking out Uh Mandalorian. And what I mean by the party is she's uniting the old school Mandalorians to her new crew that she has taken over obviously being the holder or wielder i should say of the dark saber yes and is leading a very powerful <laughs> speech and once once again katie sackoff has been the mvp of the season no question about it for the mandalorian mm-hmm. and her being bo katan we need a whole spinoff show or she can just take over the title role next season i'm cool with either or i gotta give whoever like planned out this sequence a, a medal because you just had the whole sequence with the shadow council and the empires and and gideon talked about navarro and all this hard cut to navarro and it's the town, and they're happy-go-lucky. They're going about their day, and oh, shit, here comes some ships through the sky and what looks like an Imperial cruiser, and go, oh, fuck. And even the one assistant droid uh, for uh, Grief Karga comes around and goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, he's like, and he goes, no, don't worry. You see the markings? And then the camera, which to that point had never shown the markings, yeah. shows the underside of the ship, and it's the Mandalorian logo. And I was like, ooh, that's good. Yeah, no, they so, definitely shot that very well. So whoever shot that sequence, kudos to you. Yeah. And it, it's a very cool setup, too, because this is the first time that you have the united front of the Mandalorians yeah. believing in Bo-Katan and saying, we can go to Mandalore. We're going mm-hmm. to check our planet out and see what's worth saving from it. Because yeah. Navarro is our home now, but... What's to say that we can't go back right. to the real home of the Mandalorians? However, though, there is a little fun moment that takes place with Grief Karga. Yeah. And he winds up giving a certain gift to Din Djarin. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Carl Weathers, reprising the role as Grief Karga, has brought back an old friend that we thought was long gone. Well, and we weren't sure what was going to happen with, because last we, we left him, they were looking for a part for this, and that kind of got felt by the wayside. Right. We now see an upgraded IG-11 known as IG-12, IG-12. which, when I saw this, I'm not going to lie, I thought Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I had the same thought. I legit did. I had the exact same thought. Because Grogu can now sit inside IG-12 and it, communicate and run him. Uh-huh. And it goes exactly how you would think it would go. Uh, Din Djarin says no. 
Grogu hops in anyway, and then there are two specific buttons to help him communicate. One button he hits says yes, the other one says no. And Din Djarin is so hardcore against this. Yeah. And Grogu just keeps him switching between no and yes buttons, and it's absolutely hysterical. Yeah. So this is a fun moment to break what is going to happen because we get very dramatic when the unified front arrives at Mandalore. Mm Mm-hmm. And you do see when they arrive to Mandalore, there is still more Mandalorians lurking on the planet. Still some left behind, yeah. Yeah, and these Mandalorians are very into what Bo-Katan is saying. They're very loyal. Yes. Yeah. And it also causes a reveal that, once again, I don't think anybody else but Katie Sackhoff could have pulled this scene off. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she divulges about the Great Purge. Yes. And how she had to surrender to Moth Gideon. Yeah, we finally find out some bit of information uh, about what happened with the Darksaber. Because the last we saw it, in the in the way this show has gone, you know, in, the, in terms of the timeline, mm-hmm. you know, Sabine Wren had it in Rebels. It eventually made its way to... Katie Sackhoff, Bo-Katan in that same series. And then at some point along the way, Moff Gideon ended up with the damn thing. Yeah. And we didn't know how. And no comics, no books, no audio dramas, nothing had ever come out about how. And, well, we finally found out that it was a, essentially a bargaining ship from Moff Gideon used. Like, hey, you want me to spear your people? I got to get something in return here. You know, and if you give me that saber, I'll leave your people alone. Yeah. Should have looked behind his back and seen the two fingers crossed. Yeah, but it's something that proves what kind of leader Bo-Katan is, that she's willing to sacrifice the one thing that gives her her the power over her yeah. people, so to speak, yeah. to save them. I mean, that's something very noble that is, something that radiates from her character. So obviously you understand why people are so loyal to her, and this plays in a big factor because once you see they're exploring Mandalore, they wind up going into the caverns. Mm-hmm which I'm going to say this right now. I don't want to hear people complaining about the lighting as they're underground in caverns. Mm -hmm. I know that that was a big thing in episode two. It's over and done with folks. Yeah. It it is what it is. Yeah. But once they start exploring the great forge, which is the armor's old headquarters. Mm -hmm. Well, we find out something that played a little factor in Moth Gideon's uh, escape. Yeah. That, he has set up shop on Mandalore. He was sitting there lying in wait. Yep. So the Beskar that was found on his ship uh-huh. that the uh, Jedi or the New Republic had pinned on the Mandalorians. Yeah. Well, they're not necessarily wrong. It came from Mandalore, but he didn't get it from the Mandalorians. Right. Because Moth Gideon has now leveled up the stormtroopers. Yeah. And himself. Mm hmm. And now you have this monster fight sequence go on, which this definitely got everybody excited. And they played this up completely (laughs) perfectly. It, you know, like I say, it's not the greatest one I've seen on the show, but it definitely it was had, good. It definitely had its moments. There were there were a lot, there were a lot of moving parts, and I felt they gave each each moving part some equal time. Mm -hmm. So you do see during this fight. Dinjarin is captured because yeah. he's trying to fight five at once, and obviously yeah. he fails miserably. Well, and obviously, given the history between Dinjarin and Moff Gideon, Gideon wants his head on a pike. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because at this stage too, he cuts off, yeah, the Mandalorian front, yeah, from Dinjarin, yeah, 
and he's trying to make an example of like what he's going to do. This is why you can't, you know what with me. Exactly. Meanwhile, Bo-Katan sees this and makes an escape for everybody else and says, get out of here. And then after Moff Gideon tried doing the same deal with her again. Yes. Because when he made the original deal, she gave up the Darksaber and then she turned around expecting the Empire to spare them. And the Empire said, ha, just kidding, and bombed the shit out of him anyway. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, fool me once, shame on you. You ain't fooling me twice on this one. Right. And she goes, attack. Yeah. So they try getting into the room where Moth Gideon is. He kind of lets up the the door there. Well, yeah, because well, at this point, and the thing we got to remember, too, is it got mentioned in the Shadow Council scene. Gideon was asking them for reinforcements, and mm. there's the whole song and dance. And then he also mentioned, I want Praetorian guards. Yes. Which... Were the guards we saw guarded Supreme Leader Snoke in The Last Jedi. Now, I don't think these are the same ones, but they're of the same level and class. Right. So Gideon knew, all right, Mandalorians are good, but I've got stormtroopers with upgraded armor. I've got the fucking Praetorian guards here with me. I've got my Baskar armor. I like my odds here. Yeah. So as he opens the door because he's trying to kill everybody... You see Paz Vizla, yeah, who is the one with this super big machine gun, yeah, go out there and start taking everybody out, and he closes off the wall, yeah, sacrificing himself and telling uh, Bo-Katan, go get out of here. This was the only part for me that was a little telegraphed. Yeah, I agree. It was very telegraphed. Just because if you pay it, and if it wasn't telegraphed for you, go rewatch the episode and and notice how much they focus on how bright the gun gets yep in terms of how much it's overheating and the they kept going back to it and it wasn't like they were going super close up on it but it was in a lot of shots you couldn't deny it yeah so like, that was the only part for me that was like all right he the gun's gonna overheat he's gonna probably fight off a few of them but ultimately he's gonna get killed yeah because when the minute he started walking towards him <laughs> i was like oh he's sacrificing himself yeah, yeah. like you could just tell and it, it, but it's a noble death though oh yeah because he goes to give them time to get freed because yeah. obviously they're losing this one <laughs> garen goddamn to you there's more forces in space and more on the way yeah so as he's trying to fight them all off he takes care of all the stormtroopers even though his gun overheats and, and he shorts out and he starts using his bare fucking hand well armored hands right but to, to fight him off and he does fight off every stormtrooper yeah but unfortunately for him three praetorian guards yeah roll up on him fucking hell yeah and he knows that this is the end like you can tell even though obviously he's wearing a helmet right and you can't see his his face you can tell because he just kind of has this weird quick pause like mm-hmm. like oh fuck yep like well this is it yeah. And immediately gets his wrist shield out yeah. and gets his blade that, you know, was shaking the entire time. Like yeah. we saw previously when he was ready to start a fight on the yeah. pirate ship earlier, which I know we didn't get into, but it was really kind of a throwaway scene. Sure. Just to really establish like how committed he was to the cause. Mm-hmm. This is the moment that you can say there was no question about it because he tries fighting off the Praetorian Guards and is in a losing battle no matter what. I'm glad the Praetorian Guards got a little bit of redemption just because for as not good as Last Jedi is. Mm-hmm. Remember when we were at Comic-Con the same year that movie came out and there was the unannounced, hey, there are Last Jedi uh, costumes and, and props from the movie here. Yeah. And we went, oh, fuck. Like, that's all. That's awesome. And we went in there and we saw the outfits for the first time. And I thought, wow, these are fucking cool. Yeah. And then they got punked out in the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, really? You created these new new guards 
and they got punked out in like five seconds. So to see them get a little bit of redemption, like, hey, they're not the fucking pushovers you saw in Last Jedi. Yeah. I was happy to see. I was too. And I say they they played up the death of Vizsla very well. Yeah, and I know it's a whole thing in, in comics and Star Wars. They're like, oh, they're not always dead. Nah, I, I think this dude's dead. No, he was impaled in through the stomach. Yeah, like I th- there's no coming back from this. Yeah, when once his armor was pierced and you you saw him go down, like he he didn't make a full scream, like he made a noise though. I, I was I would say if they dragged the body away, there'd be a chance he was yeah. still alive. But they clearly walked away without him. Yeah, they left him for dead because he just literally yep. collapses to his knees and then falls right on his face. So he's dead, dead. Yeah, he's dead, dead. But that is the <laughs> moment they needed though, and and as weird as it might sound. To illustrate the gravity of the situation, mm-hmm. you have a character that really shined this season in Paz Vizsla. Yeah. You know, for as little time as he was on the show. But it's enough that it connected with that audience that you can say, oh, the threat is real. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen now? Because Din Djarin is still captured by Moth Gideon. Bo-Katan is trying to lead everybody to safety. How is this all going to play out now going into the finale? Right. And this is what makes for compelling television because we don't know. No, we don't. I mean, it's not out of the realm of thought that they kill off Din Djarin. It's very well possible, and especially the storyline doesn't have to continue with season four of Mandalorian if they go that route. We, mm. we All we know, and we'll get to this later in the show, is that there's the movie coming that Dave Filoni's going to direct that's going to wrap up the Mandoverse. Yeah. We don't know if that's coming after Ahsoka. We don't know if it's coming after Mandalorian season four or book of boba fett season two like we don't know when it's coming right so this storyline doesn't necessarily have to hold off for mandalorian season four it could continue and i guarantee you some parts of it are going to continue in ahsoka season one. Oh, i guarantee uh, it's it's going to because the one thing is no matter what you want to say star wars is a billion dollar business yeah they're not going to stop it If they still can find a way to make some money and it's still a great story and the fans are still invested. And obviously people are still watching this show. Yeah. And I and it's a weird place now, but I don't think that they need such a star involved with it as Pedro Pascal if he wanted to leave or they wanted to go and focus on Bo-Katan. That's the beauty of this show that is really connected on that level that, yeah. if, that if Din Djarin is not there... It's an interesting dynamic they can do, mm-hmm. but if they want to turn it over and then you do a movie to tie it up, like almost in the sense of Cowboy Bebop. Sure. You know, you do the series and then you have the side movie that goes on at the same sure. time. Sure, sure. Same kind of thing. So it's an interesting play they can do. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we'll have to watch moving forward. But I think for where we are heading now, they sped up. They really wanted to drive home the, the plot points that have been lingering around for so long. A little breadcrumbs. Yeah. And now you're at a finale where how are the Mandalorians going to get out of this? It's going to be an absolute battle, and it's going to be insane. Oh, yeah. I'm expecting it's going to be almost an hour. Probably. You're going to have a big battle of some yeah. sort. Yeah. Is not Outer to... space with jetpack, please. Yeah. You're you're going to have something go down. This is like It's going to be the real battle of Mandalore. Yeah. And how crazy this gets. I mean, it's only up to the imagination of the the writers involved. But knowing who's here, it's John, John Favreau's right in the episode. Yeah. You know they're going to go all out for the finale. Because usually the Mandalorian finales have delivered. Oh, yeah. I mean, you take a look at season two with Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Broke the internet. Yep. That's why we had to start the 72-hour embargo rule. 
because I'm expecting the same kind of thing. Something big is going to happen here. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what. I'm not saying, like, if I have to do locks and leaps, the locks, I th- I think you're going to see maybe Ahsoka show up. Maybe. maybe. To lead into her show. I, I think the lock, the lock for me is Thrawn's going to show up. Okay. Because, and we'll get to more of the celebration stuff, like I said, later in the show. But now that we know who is playing Thrawn in the Ahsoka show, now that they've officially announced that and the speculation can end, I think it's a a near safe bet that he'll show up as some sort of like, because the Imperial remnants waiting on him, they know he's around. They're just waiting on him to show up, you know. I expect him to like getting to be on the ropes. Maybe the Mandalorians have the upper hand. It's kind of looking a little dicey for, for the empire and out of nowhere, you know, comes Thrawn and and everyone goes, Oh shit, wait, who is that? What's going on? And then the camera just cuts to the, the, the bridge of the command ship. And you just see Thrawn with his blue skin and his red eyes. Yeah. I mean, that could definitely happen. I think for my leap though, I'm going to take Din Djarin gets killed off. Maybe. I think that they would really throw a curveball into a, a lot of things. I see. I don't. I don't think so. I think if they. I think if they do that, they would hold off until the movie. My leap: uh, Luke and Ahsoka show up. Okay, I'm going to say both Luke and Ahsoka. It's going to be must-watch TV regardless for Chapter 24. <laughs> but in the meantime, though, Pad, final thoughts on the episode? It, incredible episode, and I just got to say, like this whole first four months of the year has been amazing for Star Wars fans, especially since. Bad Batch started on January 4th, mm. and it's been literally every Wednesday since the start of the year has been a, a great Star Wars content, so it's going to suck to see it end here next week. Um, but no, this episode was incredible. I'm super excited for the finale, and the finale is going to be nuts. Yeah, all bets are off on what we see, but for the build that we have, it, it really feels like a big moment is going to happen. I can't see them dropping the ball on this one. I just don't know what direction we're going to go into after it. Because with so many projects coming after this show, it's really wide open about where we're heading. But it's going to be an exciting time nevertheless. So that being said, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about Chapter 23, The Spies of Season 3 of The Mandalorian? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to The Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the user name at caption life you'll get a new episode from us every week so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out coming back for another segment on this edition of the odph podcast and marvel studios has graced us with a big trailer that we have all been waiting to see and hear about hell yeah and i gotta say spoiler free talk here i think it really delivered i was not expecting what we saw there Mm mm-hmm And I love that they really gave nothing away. They literally showed nothing. 
No, they really showed nothing, but still, it was exciting nevertheless. And, Pat, what movie are we talking about? The Marvels. Yes. The, un- well, like, is the official sequel to Captain Marvel. Yes. The title character uh, is being reprised by Brie Larson. You seeing Kamala Khan is being reprised uh, by Iman Vellani from the Disney Plus hit TV show. And we're seeing from WandaVision now coming over Tiana Paris as Monica Rambeau, who have all been a Captain Marvel in the Marvel Comics universe. Mm -hmm. So obviously we heard that this was going to be the plot for Captain Marvel 2. They've now made it an official, or I should say unofficial team movie. Yeah. Because as you'll see in the, as we talk about the trailer, that does come up. But... This film is going to be something to really catch. Nia DaCosta is directing it and is scheduled to drop on November 10th of 2023. Happy birthday to me. Yeah, so this is Pad's birthday gift. Uh, So, Pad, with your gift, I mean, spoiler-free statement. Let's get into a little more detail with that. No, it's like you said. I cannot remember the last time I saw a trailer give absolutely nothing away about the story other than a couple little minor details, but... Based off of the end of uh, uh, the Kamala Khan show, I'm blanking. Miss Marvel. Thank you. On the end of uh, based on the end of Ms. Marvel, we we knew something would involve that, so it's not really a spoiler. It's not really giving it away. Like, okay, if you watch the show, you knew it was going to happen. But no, the trailer was awesome and it was fun, and it, I think it showed how much fun this movie is going to be while still having some serious moments. Yeah, I agree. Like, whenever you hear the Beastie Boys kick on for a, a soundtrack. <laughs> or a trailer like you yeah. know you know it's gonna be a good time and like this one just had that big energy to it and really kept things lighthearted, especially when you see a certain returning character to the mcu mm-hmm. and we do know that that character has a show coming out prior to this so they played it very smart by not tipping anything off yes which i did like concerning that said character but overall i was really excited with what i saw not sure where we're going with this. Yeah. But that's the beauty of seeing a teaser trailer, you'll say. And you know what? I'm ex- I'm perfectly fine with that as we start getting into more months. Obviously, they're going to have a bigger reveal. I'm guessing at San Diego Comic-Con. Probably. We'll probably see some, get some more details coming probably. out. But you know what? I have no problem waiting until then. But let's get into that spoiler talk. So, Pat, in three, two, one, talk to me. No, this this trailer was fun. It was it was cool to see, you know, and it's it's like you said, it's interesting that the fact we've got Secret Invasion coming out before this, which inter which Nick Fury integral part of that story, the fact that they're showing him in this trailer while simultaneously giving nothing away for that, and giving away nothing for the story other than antics and shenanigans are getting involved with Monica Kamala and and. Uh, Brie Larson's powers. Yeah, like outside, which we, again, based off of the end of Ms. Marvel, we knew was going to happen because of that little uh, mid credits. Sure, you know, outside of that, they gave literally nothing away for this movie, and that that I think is a good thing because a lot of times with these movies, and this isn't a criticism, this is just a fact. Whenever you see these these trails, and I'll use Captain America Winter Soldier as an example. Okay. Once they you saw Bucky Barnes showing up and he was dressed as the Winter Soldier, I think everyone who's read kind of the Winter Soldier run that they based it off of could figure out what the hell was going to happen. When you started doing, you know, Infinity War and, and you figured out, okay, this is what they're going to do. X, Y, and Z is going to happen and they hit X, Y, and Z. It's I, I dare somebody to find me with this trailer what writer's run they're going with, 
what storyline they're going with and tell me what the hell's going to happen with this movie because I sure as shit can't figure out what the hell's going on, and I, that's not a bad thing. The only thing, and this is, okay, this is my leap, but bear with me when I say this. <laughs> I think they're going to go with the Kree scroll War. Probably. Or the MCU version of it. Because that has been a long-standing thing in the Marvel Universe for many, many years. And obviously, with scrolls coming to prominence in such shows as Secret Invasion, which we know is coming out this summer, and obviously seeing the scroll influence in Captain Marvel previously, it makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. So that all mixing together, I don't doubt that they do a version of that. Now, am I going to say they're going to really stretch and go for some cosmic uh, villains such as Korvac? I don't know. Maybe a mention. Maybe, but like I say, there's some deep dives they can go into because the one thing is the Marvel Cosmic Universe is more or less wide open. Yeah. And has never really been dabbled on the big screen other than Guardians of the Galaxy. But <coughs> they do it very well that like they've shown that that can sell to a pop culture audience but they've mm -hmm. never like opened the wide playbook right for it like you know we haven't had dark hawk yet nova has been rumored forever in a day yeah the inhumans well you know hey uh cosmic ghost rider yeah oh please i you, you have no idea how i would mark out and especially if they copied the stephanie phillips run right now i would be it like literal first line waiting for this movie but if they if they do stuff like that it shows the audience will gravitate towards it and really run with it so Seeing how this all plays out, I thought it really did a nice job of just teasing <laughs> ideas. But obviously, with Secret Invasion coming before this, they they really kept things very close to the chest. It was very del uh, deliberately edited in a certain way. Yes, because as it kicks off, we get a, a shot of space, and it's the Saber mm -hmm. space station. Yes. So not sword, not shield. Saber is what they're going with, spelled S-A-B-E-R. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting if they're trying yeah. to avoid saying sword. Probably. Which maybe that'll get retconned as we get into the post-Secret Invasion life. Either way, you do see that Nick Fury is residing on there and talking to Monica Rambeau, who is in space, checking something out. Now, Monica is in a space suit. I want to point this out. So she's yes. not in her superhero outfit. But she's going to check out some energy readings that are going on into what looks like a portal of some sort. Yeah, and she even calls it the she calls it the jump point perimeter. Yes. So to what extent that is is really up in the air. Something tells me though, based on the fact that jump point perimeter and she's going to get readings, something tells me it's been there for a hot minute. Mm -hmm. You know, but they haven't. They've been kind of like staying away from it and kind of getting readings from afar. And this might be the first time anyone's going near the damn thing. Yeah, because I mean they're obviously fearful it would be Thanos or the uh -huh. original attack on New York would happen again. And yeah. So, but obviously Nick Fury needs to keep an eye on things. So Monica is out there, and she gets very close to this portal, makes a bit of contact. You see an energy burst, and she's shot back towards the space station. Mm -hmm. Or so we think it's her, but yeah. the voice. Says otherwise. And Pat, who is that voice? Kamala Khan. Yes, Miss Marvel herself is now coming right up to the window, and Nick Fury is seeing her, and she's going, Oh, Nick Fury, hi. Yeah. You know, having a big fan moment. She's like, Is this an Avengers test? Yeah, and, and Fury's looking at her like, What the fuck is going on? Yeah, he's just like, What is this? So then they do a shot of a portal is in a sky, 
and you see somebody come flying through a crashing on an alien world, or so we assume it's an alien world. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yes, and you do see that this is Monica Rambeau, and she is getting approached by a bunch of Kree soldiers, because you can tell by the blue skin. Mm-hmm. So we assume that she's on the Kree home world. Yep. Meanwhile, they flash back to the end credit scene of Miss Marvel, where you see Brie Larson's uh, Captain Marvel come busting through Kamala's room Mm -hmm. and you see that all the posters illustrations and news articles are all over her wall because miss marvel is the biggest captain marvel fan ever Mm -hmm. so brie larson's character is just kind of going like what did i just walk into like and she is obviously you know completely thrown off her game Mm -hmm. enter the beastie boys intergalactic appropriately uh, pick song yes so we get a shot of new york city and then you do see that nick fury and Monica Rambeau have shown up in Kamala Khan's house. Yeah, on the doorstep. Yes. So they wind up showing up there and are asking questions about Kamala Khan. And you see that she comes flying out of the room and she's like, yeah, hi. And, and she goes, did I get in? Yeah. So because her dream is always to be an Avenger. So yeah. you do see that. And then they do fl- make a flash sequence to Monica Rambeau's time. You're assuming on the Cree homeworld. Yeah. So it's very brief, but you do see that she is illustrating her powers because somebody crashes the party at the Khan's house. Well, and she also mentions that their powers are entangled. Mm. You know, Monica says, I can manipulate light energy. And then you and, and Kamala goes, oh, I can totally show you. Fury and, and Monica both go, no. She goes to use her the powers and it's uh, not the powers you expect coming out of there. Because, Ken, who comes flying into the room? Captain Marvel. Yet again. Yes. So you see the Brie Larson is now crashing the Kamala Harris. She's like, what the fuck? Kamala Khan's. I apologize for the Freudian slip there. So you do see that uh, Brie Brie Larson's character is now standing in Kamala Khan's uh, house. And now everybody's going, where did Kamala go? Well, and she turns around and sees Fury and she sees Monica and she goes, oh, hi. And then Kamala's mom goes, where's our daughter? And Monica looks at Brie and just goes, yeah, probably wherever you just were. Yes. So we do see that Kamala has now wound up on a space station of some sort. Yep. Or spaceship. But there is a familiar person Mm -hmm. that is there. Four-legged feline. Yes. The one and only Goose, the flurkin that (laughs) took out Nick Fury's eye and is just... Swallowed the Tesseract for all of like 10, 15 years. Yeah. So you do see that Kamala is freaking out is because obviously the Flurkin is doing what the Flurkin does, and that's waste everybody in sight. Uh-huh. Then it breaks away to the three Marvels flying on a spaceship of some sort. Yeah. Now, where they're going is really up in the air, <coughs> and I don't think that's been officially clarified as of yet. Nope. So it could be the Kree homeworld. It could be another place that we don't know about. It, you know, it could have something to do with the Nova Corps. I'm even going to throw that out there. It looks real Mediterranean. That's all I'll say. Yes. So it's an interesting thing that obviously they're going to play into a little bit more as that story progresses. But I think it's it has something to do with the Cree homeworld, and that would be my guess. Mm-hmm. We then get an action sequence, and we do see Kamala Khan is, you know, using a little bit of her powers into fighting somebody on a spaceship. Yep. And then, Pad, what do we have here? Uh, looks like a whole dance sequence because there's a whole bunch of people dancing in the street spontaneously. Yes. So we do see that. Then it flies to Nick Fury, uh, who's yelling at somebody from the spaceship. Yeah. And then there's a shot of somebody leading an army. And this uh, comes from that uh, city that we yeah. talked about. Uh, now, I am not sure who this character is. Well, you know, I don't know. Yes. So we'll have to wait to see what is happening here. But we do see that... 
this is now leading into more of the Cree army going, and it looks like that there is a successor to Ronin the Accuser. Could be. Because somebody is wielding Ronin's hammer. I'm also going to go out on a limb. The shot right after that, there's an army of cats running down the stairs. Those aren't cats. I'm going to go with those are all flurkins. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a... You, you thought it was bad when one flurkin ate shit? Get like a whole army of flurkins there eating stuff. That's the most terrifying thing I think I've seen. Right? I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. I'm trying to remain my composure because I'm just like, I don't want to even deal with the world of flurkins all violently tearing at everybody apart. Yeah. Like I say, it sounds jumbled because it is, because I'm just like trying to visualize that going down. <coughs> but like we say, we have the new accuser addressing the Marvels. Then they do a group shot, and it does seem like this person is fighting all three of them at once. Mm-hmm. So like I say, and it, at one stage too, it does look like they have Miss Marvel's bangle yeah. as a power source. So I'm not sure exactly what is transpiring here. Mm-hmm. Other than the new accuser might be trying to collect the Kree artifacts and, you know, do something with them. Probably, you know, using it to start the war with the scrolls. That would be my guess. Probably. But still, like I say, it's very, very wide open to this. And then they show a shot of the Marvels on the spaceship. And, you know, Kamala is like, oh, we're a team, right? Monica goes, oh, no, 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 we're not a team. And Carol says, "We're, we're definitely not a team. Yeah. And that's how the trailer wraps up. Yeah. So, like I say, it's a fun one with Kamala Khan. And like I say, I do apologize if I slipped in and said Kamala Harrison uh, earlier in the mix. But it is one that you see Kamala is definitely shining through here. The energy that she had on the Miss Marvel show is carrying yeah. through here. So the writing is very similar. You're seeing Monica Rambeau really step up. And I like that, you know, we teased that what her powers can do. And I'm expecting to see a full, you know, exposure of what she can do in the show. Right. Obviously, since since WandaVision. And then, obviously, Brie Larson's Carol Danvers. You know is going to be Captain Marvel, the most powerful being in the Marvel Universe. There's a lot of win here, and like I say, they kept everything very, very close about who the antagonists are. But by the way it's looking, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb. I think I'm more on point with the Kree Scroll War than anything. Right. And I'm waiting to see how this all plays out. But seeing that you have somebody that has the Ronin's hammer and is also looking like they have a bangle, mm-hmm. like that's something to really keep an eye on moving forward. I'm just not sure exactly who that is in the comics. I will admit, like, I don't have that much of a knowledge of past Captain Marvel that I can really say, like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Like I say, the closest one I could say, like, maybe they would try doing something with a Korvac-type deal. Right. I don't know. I mean, granted, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts involved there. But I think yeah. overall, there's a lot of wind to be had here, and especially the energy coming out of this, no pun intended, it, it, this looks fun. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this doesn't look like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. No. This, this has its own vibe no. to it. And I'm very excited to see where we're going to go with the story. I'm excited for the story, too, just because I, I looked at the IMDb page to see who the writers were for this. And the writers are uh, a gentleman named Gene uh, Colon. Uh, got a credit on this. Uh, who He's known for writing, uh, TV, uh, being on Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, and then also he did work on the Three Blade movies. Uh, and then also a gentleman by the name of Roy Thomas, who uh, worked on WandaVision for the six episodes, also wrote for Luke Cage. Yeah. Uh, the Netflix series. They're very well-known uh, yeah. comic pe- people. So, you know what? Like, honestly, this is something to be excited about. And like I say, I think they're going to dive into a lot more of Miss Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, I should say, rather, her background. Probably. And, and some of her stories that they've done over the years. So 
there's a lot of wind to be had here. I'm excited about this. I was this was definitely delivering on the hype. I just don't know where we're going overall. I don't either. But you know what? That's the fun thing as fans. Like we don't need to know everything, and it makes for great conversation about it. So, Pat, final thoughts on it? Fantastic trailer gave literally nothing away other than what we already knew, you know, and, and got me certainly hyped and excited for what's going to come with when the movie drops on the day. Well, technically, it releases on November 9th, but officially November 10th, so it's dropping on my birthday. Yeah, so I think you have a very good gift in hand. Um, really excited to see the, the next trailer after Secret Innovation. Yeah. Just to have a little yeah. more idea of what's going on. I feel like that's why we didn't get much in the way of the story for this trailer is because Secret Invasion hasn't come. Yeah, you know what? That's perfectly fine. Because what we saw here, it's going to be a fun movie. And I don't mind when movies are fun as long as they have a good plot to them. Mm-hmm. And for where I think we're going, this could be a lot of fun. And especially to balance out the seriousness that's going to be happening with Secret Invasion. Yes. It's going to be the, the other side of the coin. And that's perfectly fine. I am super excited to see what is going to play out. And I would not doubt it is going to lead into something from Fantastic Four. I, I'm not going to say officially like, oh, this is the lead in. This is going to be where they find the, the first family of Marvel. Right. No. But I wouldn't doubt there's a big Easter egg for that project coming or at least after a, this. Or at least a mention. I wouldn't doubt hearing the name Richards or Storm get mentioned right. at some point in this movie. Right. I wouldn't doubt it. I'm not going to call it it's official, but that's the you know thing about this. Whenever you deal with Cosmic, you can go a lot of different directions because it's really uncharted water. And there's really no like set-in-stone playbook. That's where this movie, is, I think, is going to strive in. Because I think they're going to take a fun story, really run with it, do a retelling of a classic Marvel story. And then pass it on to whoever the next project is going to be. But you know what? As fans, we got a lot to be excited about for November 10th. That said, hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHPod. The Marvel's first trailer came out. What are your thoughts? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my God, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. Here are your menus. Oh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know, murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Diner Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to recap a mic drop moment. Holy fuck. More than anything, involving the latest episode of the CW in DC Comics, Superman and Lois show. God damn. Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tolliker were playing the title roles of Clark and Lois Kent. And obviously the first family of Smallville is getting into a more trouble because obviously the sons, Alex Garfin, who plays Jordan Kent, and Michael Bishop, who played Jonathan Kent, are not dealing with the normal things that teenagers deal with when your no. dad is Superman. No. So this episode that we're about to talk about and is episode five of season three entitled Head On. Uh, really didn't move the needle, didn't really have a lot going on with it until the end. Mm -hmm. And that is why we have to talk about this. 
So, Pat, give me your spoiler-free statement on the episode. Episode was fine. Uh, it was another one of those episodes where, like, the Clark and Lois story I was in on. And then certain aspects of, of everybody else's story, I, I you know, really wasn't. Eh, I was like, yeah, what? you know, you had this stuff going on with Kyle and and Jonathan. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Don't really care. The stuff with Lana was parts of it. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is intriguing. You know, but but mostly I was in on the, uh, the, the Clark and Lana stuff. Yeah, I have to admit, like, the teen drama stuff, I think, once again, they really write Jonathan or, uh, yeah, Jonathan Kent very well. Yeah. I really think they write that character very, very strong. So seeing where he goes in this episode, I thought made a lot of sense. Wasn't mad about it at all. No. The Jordan Sarah stuff, yeah. you know, I it's, it's, it's just too much will they won't they. Like, so like I, we said before, and we'll reiterate, shit or get off the pot. Yeah. And this episode I tuned out again because I think I know where they're going with it. And I'm just like, Mary, here we are. Is what it is. But I think for overall... I think it was a very solid episode. And that's one thing about the show, too. It's one of the rarities of the CW DC Comics universe, in my opinion. When we get to season three, that's usually when the slump starts. Mm-hmm. And you can take a look at every single CW DC Comics show there's been. Season three, there's always a dip off. Sure. For reasons. Sure. This one, I not so much. Not so much. But I think they're really trying to give everybody a lot of time sure and I, i'm not mad about that but i think you it, it's tough because you really gotta pick what stories to go in with sure because they have such a big cast so you don't want and and i know they're really trying to give everybody time which is great but it just like certain moments you're like okay here we are and then certain ones like all right you know this is a really good direction because they haven't dived into too much of the superhero <laughs> element if you notice right it's really been about like maybe 10, 15 minutes in each episode. Yeah. And it seems like in previous seasons, maybe they did a little more 2025, mm-hmm. like more like, you know, 55, yeah. 45 split. Yeah. So seeing how it is this season, it's been different. It's not bad. Yeah. But it's no, it's noticeable. See, that's the thing where like, I think the, the writers need to realize like you don't have to use the, the regular characters every week yeah like i think back to smallville and this is only in my mind because i'm listening to the Talkville podcast so michael rosenbaum and tom welling are, are talking about this but they're you know sam jones who played pete ross in the show clark's one of clark's best friends he was a recurring character for you know a regular character for like the three four seasons however many seasons he was on the show yeah there were some episodes where legitimately he was in it for maybe a scene if not at all this, the same can be said, you know, for a lot of the other characters on that show. That, like, because just because they were a regular character and appeared in the title sequence, you know, as with their name in it, they didn't always show up there. Yeah. Like, it's nice to get everybody on and get a maritime, but, like, sometimes it just bogs down the story a little too much, which I think is what's happening here. Yeah. It's, it's something that they just need to fix a little bit, but you know what? It, <coughs> it doesn't hurt what they're trying to do. No. Like, I want to say... But at least we're getting enough that it feels like everybody's getting some time, which is cool. It's just like certain storylines, like we're rehashing a little bit. And I always focus on Jordan and Sarah because I just like that one at the stage is like, all right, can we just make a decision here and run with it? Yeah. But as this episode kicks off, uh, there is a school dance that's coming up. Yeah. That is really kind of dominating the town, so to speak. Yeah. And we have to remember we're in you know small town USA. Yeah. So this is a big deal. It's like Friday night football. Like oh, yeah. the town shuts oh, down yeah. and Smallville is no different. 
But you do have a couple other elements that are going on at this point. Mm-hmm. And one of which, and like I say, Jonathan Kent is always getting really good stuff to work with. And Michael Bishop, who's taken over the role, has really ran with it this season. Yeah. Like I say, I, I really like what he's brought to the role. He does aspire to become a firefighter for Smallville. Mm-hmm. And he goes to see Kyle Cushing, who's played by Eric Valdez, about, you know, almost like an internship. Yeah. You know, volunteering on the weekends. Yeah. And, you know, Kyle is very open to this idea and he does throw it to him. Like, you know, you might, you know, we might be able to work, make this happen. Meanwhile, like he's having a little more stability with his girlfriend, Chrissy. Well, are they officially boyfriend, girlfriend, or is it just kind of like a, hey, we like each other? You know, I think at this stage it's there. Okay. Because obviously with the drama that's been going on with him and her dad, who's been (laughs) trying to steal his car, uh, threatened to shoot Lois because of reasons, um, you know, I think now they're at this place where it's like, okay, we're here. Yeah. You know, or, or Candace, I would, I would say, I apologize. I think I said Chrissy earlier. But Candace is now living at the Kent's home, mm-hmm. and Jordan is not happy with this. No, especially since uh, she takes so long in the shower in the morning that by the time the boys go to take showers, there's no hot water left. Yeah. Welcome to a house with living with three kids. Yeah. So it is kind of this interesting dynamic that's going on, but Lois is being very welcome to Candace, and you can definitely see she's very reciprocative of getting some, you know, stability and family time. Uh, having grown up with two siblings in his house, I empathize with the whole lack of hot water situation. Yeah. I, so, I, I, so I connected with that story a little yeah, bit. I was like, yeah, I understand that. Because Jordan is extremely mad about what's going on with yeah. that. But, you know, yeah. but, you know, he's handling it well. Like, it, I don't, because, you know, what I originally feared they were going to do is like, oh, well, you know, Jonathan has a stable relationship with Candace. I don't have one with Sarah. You know, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Oh, that's your own fault, dude. Yeah, I know. That's, that's all Jordan there. So it's like, you know, and I'm just not even going to get into that because I want to talk about the better, the better parts of this episode and we had strong acting yet again from elizabeth tolick whose lois lane is battling cancer at this time mm-hmm. and she's now going through chemotherapy to fight their cancer they're now going to the hospital though that is owned by bruno Mannheim, mm-hmm. played by chad l coleman who obviously if you know the name of the co- in from him in the comics him being a part of inner gang is you know very very noteworthy yeah of being a superman rogue so that said They've been really doing a remark, a fantastic job, I would say, with the portrayal of Lois battling cancer and yeah. Clark supporting her as Clark is sitting there and talking with other chemo patients as well. Because in the back of his mind, too, mm-hmm. he understands the danger that Lois is doing, not with her battle with cancer, but the fact that she's going to a hospital that she knows is owned by Bruno Mannheim. Right. And she's still trying to investigate him while this is going on and understanding this is going to take a toll on her because she should be focusing all of her energy on battling cancer yeah so it is some very strong scenes that are going on here too and especially when lois is confronting bruno Mannheim, and bruno is just you know obviously saying you know what you've been chasing after me for so long do you not see what is going on here and we're trying you mm-hmm. know to help people and you're sitting here you know and they're still playing the superhero aspect well but it's done tastefully it's yeah. not done in any disrespectful way which i no. do like how the writers have handled this and especially with lois's portrayal because you know it does show that, you know, she's still trying to go after the story, but yet it is showing her how she's struggling with her battle, too, as well, because it, it is a physical and mental toll. On well, her. especially the thing we got to remember, too, is this whole sequence is only her second chemotherapy treatment. Mm-hmm. So she hasn't even reached, you know, the the rough road of it yet, where you're in the middle, you're in the middle of everything and fighting everything. And, 
you know, she wants still wants to be mom and wants to see the boys at their dance. Like she she wants to go to Metropolis, go to this chemotherapy treatment, and then go back to Smallville, get dressed up, go to the school dance, and see her boys dressed up because she wants to see them in something other than than running shoes and hooded sweatshirts. Yes, you know, so she's doing all this. Oh, by the way, she's investigating Bruno Mannheim, and she's walking through the fucking hospital with the IV drip attached to her and hauling that thing along as she's sneaking through a hospital like. Admirable. Yes. But like, slow down, girl. Yeah. Like, it's just one of the situations where, you know, and they, and they come back to this later in the episode too, because it's just so much of a physical demand on her and, you know, what she's trying to do, investigating Bruno Mannheim, that she winds up missing the dance because obviously she's just physically, you know, she's exhausted. She's exhausted. But it's, but they ended on a good note too with her, but we'll get to that a little later because then when they get focusing on the dance, this is where I think the episode really, I don't want to say, goes away from being a good episode, but I think it's something that they've been really trying to emphasize about giving everybody their time in high school. I mean, it certainly took a turn after the the hospital sequence ended with Bruno Mannheim showing the pharmaceutical experimentation aspect, whatever the hell it was, yeah. where they were working on stuff and he's trying to make stuff and create stuff. And he's very upfront with her and he's very like transparent, like, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're working on. You want all of that doctor's research? I'll have it for you before you leave the building. Yeah. Which I'm sitting there going, all right, what's this dude's angle? Well, the whole thing about him is he's in the comics. He's very one step ahead. And Lois has been trying to pin him for his crimes for years, but she's never been able to do it. So, like I say, she's made this mention before. That she that he is the holy grail of her journalism career. Mm-hmm. Like that's the you know unattainable goal to nail him for all his crimes, and now that he's now become involved in Smallville business, it's really now she's taken upon herself to really finish the job and you know finish that portion of her career is that she wants to take him down no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, but Bruno understands this, and that's why he's staying such you know one step ahead and saying you know here's what here's all my research like. You keep coming after me, you and Superman both, and you're so wrong on it. But really, are they? Mm-hmm. We'll discuss that in a bit. Because, like I say, at this point, everything shifts back to the Valentine's Day dance. Yeah. And we get a little more high school drama. Yeah. We see that Jordan now has tracked down Mateo, mm-hmm. who is the guy that was trying to hook up with Natalie at the party in Metropolis. Right. And now he is in Smallville yeah, because he wanted to meet Natalie. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting story going on there because he literally has found her. They're going to the dance. Yeah. And I instantly texted you because I think there's more to him than meets the eye. All guaranteed. And I'm going to go out on a limb right now. And obviously we have been talking spoilers for a little bit. So, But you know when we switch directions like this, we're getting the deep dives. I'm banking that that's Bruno Mannheim's son. If 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 he just showed up in the one episode and never showed up again, it'd be a throwaway thing. Just absolutely just a plot man for that. But the fact that he came back, you know, what was that like two three episodes later? Mm-hmm. There there's more to this kid than meets the eye. Yeah, so I'm guaranteeing you that he's Bruno Mannheim's son. They've they've never said, and all we know is he was at the party, started chatting chatting it up with with Natalie Natalie, and then he had such a connection with her. That he tracked her down on social media or on the internet, you mm-hmm. know, because Jordan and Jonathan's grandfather was freaking the fuck out that like he just showed up and was able to figure out where they live and this and that. And, you know, all oh, your covers blown and yada, 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 you know, but it's like, hey, no, slow down, you know. So 
the fact that he shows up and he's there again, nah, there's there's something going on. No, and can I just say this too? I absolutely love the dynamic between Dylan Walsh and Taylor Buck. Oh, I as, do too. As grandfather and granddaughter. I do too. I think they're they're absolutely now hitting their stride. The, the fact that we had the ATV bonding moment. Yeah. And you can definitely see that Natalie coming from a different timeline is now finally feeling that she has a family here yeah. in Smallville. And you're seeing just that dynamic. Obviously, what happened in the first episode with General Lane dropping the ball there, mm-hmm. he's now redeemed himself. And especially when she has a very awkward moment with Mateo, he goes and, com- and comforts her at the dance. Yeah. And I thought that that was just a, a very strong scene as well. Like mm-hmm. you just, cause like I say, we're used to seeing general lane as just being the gruff, no nonsense general of the DOD Yeah, to see him in this position. I thought it was a cool change of pace. And, I, and like I say, I love the dynamic between them because you can definitely tell that it's building everything they've done with general lane. These first five episodes has been awesome. Yeah. He's been on point he's this been season. So good. Yeah, absolutely. So while that's going on, they're going back to the Eric and Chrissy romance as well, which, Mm. you know what, I'm not mad about. I think that that works, or Kyle and Chrissy, I should say, rather. Eric is the actor who plays him. So I like where they're going there. Yeah. Uh, They do try running a small romance. Well, I don't want to say romance, but I think that's where they're going with it, with the former mayor's son Mm -hmm. and Sarah. There's there's some there seems to be something there. There's something going on there. Which we're gonna do the love triangle again. Yay! yay. <sighs> yeah, that's kind of my reaction as well to it because yeah. I I think they telegraph that too much. It's, well, because we had the whole plot line going on throughout the episode that the kid Sarah is ends up being buddy buddy up to it towards the end of the episode is the former mayor's son. Right. And now he's apparently an orphan because. It's brought up by Sarah when Lana confronts Sarah. Why are you Why are you talking to him and yada, yada, yada? You know, they're like, oh, he's got no father. He's got no family left. So apparently he's an orphan now. So what, yeah, yeah. which was not real clear to me. I don't whatever, you know, but it's it's been brought up throughout the episode that the son blames Lana for what happened to his father. Yeah, because the father was killed by Bruno Mannheim. Yeah. So, you know, the father was killed. And, and he suspects Lana of having cheated in some fashion to win the election because he just can't figure out why his father wouldn't get reelected. Yeah. And and it, as it turns out, there were some folks, Chrissy tells Lana that like, hey, listen, he's not the only one in town who thinks this. There's a, there's a certain contingent of the town who thinks it's a little suspicious. Yeah. So Lana wants to run a story like, hey, that's not the truth. I have all this evidence that can expunge me of any wrongdoing. Chrissy goes, great, we'll run an expose on it, we'll get your story out there. And then we get to the party where the kid freaks out, you know, because Lana shows up and has goes, hey, everybody, great news. The mold's almost gone from the school and you'll be back to your normal lives, you know, before the uh, before the end of the week. And the son, you know, the son of the former mayor hears this and he goes running from the party and he freaks out and... That's when Sarah starts connecting with him, and then yeah, there might be something there. Oh, by the way, the kid carries a hip flask filled with some sort of alcohol. Yeah, which I was like, okay, reasons. You know, it's high school, so yeah. you know. But so Sarah, that's a, that's a thing for some parties. Yeah, so, you know, that's that's, a, that's a thing. So Lana shows up, chases away the son, and has this. I thought was going to have another blow up with Sarah. Yeah, but she she plays it smart and she slows down and goes, okay. I'll hear you out. And Sarah starts explaining like, hey, listen, he's got nobody left. You know, his dad's gone. He feels really outcasted. And I just wanted to make sure he was okay. 
So then we flash forward to the end of this little plot line later in the episode where, and well, and Lana tells her, hey, you know what? It's fine. You talk to him just next time. No, al- no alcohol. Yeah. You know, but then the end of, end of this storyline is Sarah or not Sarah. Lana meets up with Chrissy again and goes, hey, you know what? Let's not run the story. Yeah. So I know there's more to his story that meets the eye right now, but I like how they just kind of threw that in there. But then again, it's like they almost telegraph where yeah. they're going with it too, yeah. which, which I mean, Lana's story has been interesting thus far this season, but I thought that this was oh, an interesting turn they decided to do. Yeah, it's, it. it's been real interesting. She learned Clark's secret and then took a hard left turn and yeah, we're not even going near that. Yeah. So it is what it is. So like I say, not mad about it. Just kind of surprised. Yeah. Because the only other story that was going on from the dance is Candace is now moving to Topeka. Yeah. So Jordan or Jonathan is now going to be able to become a firefighter. And that's going to be interesting, I think, seeing his story go forward there. Yeah. So, you know, interesting that they wrote Candace off, especially since they devoted a lot of time to her this season. Yeah. So I'm not sure how that's going to factor in moving forward. But I think it's just an interesting thing that they're very quick to write her off now at episode five. Mm Mm-hmm. But then we get into, I think, was the the biggest moments of the show, though. And that is Bruno Mannheim has now sent another superpowered being after the DOD. Mm-hmm. And he sends Deadline, mm-hmm. who has phasing powers. Yeah. Almost like Ghost from yes. Um, Ant-Man. Yes. Into the DOD facility to try causing a hack and get some secrets out. Now, we don't know what these secrets are, mm-hmm. but we do know that... Bruno Mannheim has had access to Superman's blood that is behind DOD walls. So we kind of have an idea about who's leaking that out. So Superman does find out that Deadline has invaded the DOD <laughs> headquarters. There's a fight there, a very cool scene. Yeah. Deadline gets stuck in a wall by the time it's all said and done. Well, yeah, because Superman tries literally every power he has to fight him, and he just cannot hit him. All the meanwhile, Deadline is using a kryptonite blade, knife, whatever it is. It's not a big one. Yeah. And he's like little cuts and slashes against Superman. You know, he's getting the upper hand, but Superman realizes, oh, he can stop my physical attacks. He can't stop my sonic attacks. And he does like the giant, the hand clap thing. And and he ends up knocking him into the wall, but then also simultaneously mid phase. So he's kind of stuck in the wall too. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, visual to see happen. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, he's too late of stopping the hack. Yep. So to what degree that happens, we don't know. Well, the, the only thing we know is General Lane brings it up later. When, I don't remember if it's in the facility or later at the farm. I forget. I, it, it's at the farm because you know what farm. happens is when they get back, Lois is doesn't make it to the dance because obviously she's, she's, she's exhausted. She's exhausted what happened. So Clark brings the dance to her right there but, but we also learned from general lane tells them that what the, he stole was the other uh hidden locations of the dod right and while clark was fighting uh deadline, deadline uh gang was busy running in and stealing all the others all sorts of other goodies from the dod what they stole well, we don't know right because so while clark is you know thinking the battle is done and they have the dance at the kent household yeah you know and obviously you know lois has a very touching moment with her son jordan as well too. that was that was sweet yeah inner gang is still making moves and then we find out the biggest move they do it that nobody saw coming they've recovered the body of bizarro yeah yeah because they bring the body in and they they the camera pulls back and reveals it's bizarro and i dropped about four f-bombs and one s-bomb and my girlfriend liz bailey who was watching with me went 
what is, what is that Frankenstein looking thing? And I went, well, you're not wrong. You're with not that. wrong. You're not wrong with that assessment. No. And that's how the episode wraps up. Yeah. So like I said, we might have just gone right into it. There's a lot going on, but you know what? I don't think they missed the mark with this. I think they really hit a strong point with the conclusion of this episode. I think that's a big takeaway from this. Mm-hmm. That obviously Bizarro is going to be resurrected. And I yeah. think we're going to the true bizarro in this universe that, you know, last season we, we didn't get, and there was right. reasons for, we were not going to get into that. You can listen to a whole backlog of episodes for that if you really want. But I mean, I think overall Pat, it was a, it was a great episode for what it was. Yeah. It was solid. And even, even when the show has, you know, done a bad episode, I mean, I think we, we counted, there's only been one, there's only been one, there's only been yeah. one that they were really off the mark. Even when there's just kind of a steady show and they're giving <laughs> a lot of screen time to everybody, it still is moving the story forwards. You have some great emotional moments involving the Kent family throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. And it really carries over. And it, it gives a nice balance to what's going on with Superman, even though I think those episodes fans are talking about more because obviously seeing Bizarro come back and what Bruno Mayhem's doing. And then we know Lex Luthor is waiting in the wings mm-hmm. to come on the show. There's a lot of moving action that's going on here, but still a very solid episode nevertheless. No, yeah, it was a great episode. Interesting to see see what happens, you know, and especially the moment at the end. I don't think anything's going to come from it, but it was funny with uh, Jordan. Uh, or Yeah, Jordan putting, you know, a senior a grandpa Tinder on General Wayne's phone. Yeah, I, I thought that was hysterical. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but I, that that moment really popped me, and I was like, "Ah, that's awesome!" But no, the episode was great. Interesting, interested to see where they go from here because hey, Bizarro's back. Yeah, it's definitely a lot to talk about with this episode. Hit us up on that hashtag hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about episode five entitled "Head On" from Superman and Lois? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Alan Dufford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH Podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, Pad. What you got? Kind of talk about a couple of things, uh, the first of which is a little recap of Star Wars Celebration, where he had some major news. And no, it's not the fact that James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the animated series, finally met Ewan McGregor, although that is pretty fucking awesome. That is a cool moment. Check James Arnold Taylor's social medias for the photo. Uh, No, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that was announced at Star Wars Celebration. Most of this coming out from the hour and a half panel they had uh, late last week. Uh, or early this week, whatever the hell it was. It's all blending together. Uh, but some of this, uh, and I'm borrowing uh, some of the information from an article on entertainmentweekly.com because, hey, I can't remember everything. Yeah, surprisingly. Uh, yeah, so obviously the biggest news is Ray is coming back. As Daisy, well, Daisy Ridley is coming back as Ray. Uh, so they announced three new films that are going to be coming out in some point obviously with star wars they don't give us release dates or release windows until the first trailer Mm. uh but we found out that the upcoming film is going to be directed by charmine obide chinoy who you might know directed a couple episodes of miss marvel uh and it's going to be uh set in a jedi academy with jedi master ray attempting to build the jedi order uh much like luke did before her Uh, we do know this film is going to take place nearly 15 years after the events of the rise of skywalker so time period there for you. Uh, super interesting. And the fact that, you know, Daisy Ridley is coming back. A little bit of a surprise. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was not expecting that when it was announced. Yeah. I really wasn't. I think that I, I 
figured they were going to go into a different direction, but here yeah. we are. Uh, the uh, One of the other films that was announced, again, no titles for any of these movies, but it is going to be directed by James Mangold, who you might know uh, directing... Logan. Logan and the upcoming Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny film. He's going to be directing a film that is going to depict the first ever Jedi to wield the Force. They showed a, a little bit of a timeline with images of logos and such for like the Old Republic, the High Republic, prequels original trilogies, sequels, you know, and all that stuff. This is like, and then all the way to the left, all the way at the beginning is Dawn of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Also a uh, legends novel. Uh, but that is where this movie is taking place. It is going to be super far in the past. He called it going to be almost like a biblical film of sorts. So I'm super excited for this. It's James Mangold. He's done some amazing stuff. Uh, and then also Dave Filoni, you know, who? yeah, exactly. Uh, the MVP, the goat, the goat uh, is going to be directing a film where it is going to basically close out the Mandoverse as, as we know, I, a little, little quip with some of the folks who were writing articles about this. This isn't his first directorial debut, folks. Yeah. He directed the Clone Wars movie, which admittedly, yes, it's the lowest grossing Star Wars film of all time. But still, this this isn't going to be his first directorial movie. No, he's directed a movie before. Uh, nevertheless, so those are the three movies. We're going to have one set after Rise of Skywalker uh, with Rey re- returning. Mm. You're going to have one set kind of in the middle of everything in the later half with uh, Dave Filoni closing out the Mandoverse. And then you're going to have one way back in the past directed by James Mangold and basically about the first ever Jedi. So those are the movies we're running with. You know, really like the subject matter. I, you know, and obviously there's such a mystique about him. Uh huh. And with Filoni attached, <clears throat> you take a look at what he's done lately. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think if everybody focuses on that movie, yeah, uh, they shouldn't. I mean, listen. Arguably, is it the greatest Star Wars movie of all time? No, it's probably towards the bottom of my list. But it's essentially two or three episodes of the Clone Wars mashed into a movie. Right. But not he, exactly seamless. But he's the heir apparent to George Lucas. Absolutely. I mean, that's why people should be excited about it. And like I say, the direction this is going in, I think it's an interesting take. Because mm-hmm. I think that we're all wondering, well, obviously, Episode Nine fans have feelings about. <laughs> yeah, they do. So when you're saying, okay, we're going to try doing something else, you know there's going to be a lot of spotlights on it. And, you know, when it's burning the brightest, I mean, you got to deliver. Mm-hmm. And I think Filoni understands it. Like, he's somebody that gets the, the temp in the room with this. Right. Uh, then we got to talk about some of the TV series. We got a trailer for the upcoming Ahsoka series, which is dropping in August of 2023. Yes. The trailer looks amazing. Holy fuck. Like, this cannot come out soon enough. Uh, we did get to see at in the trailer and in person, uh, obviously, Rosario Dawson, who is reprising her role as Ahsoka. But we also got to see uh, Natasha Liu Bordizzo. Uh, portray Sabine Wren, Mm. who first made her appearance in Star Wars on the animated series Rebels. Uh, And then we also got to see Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who you might know as Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yes. She was also in 10 Cloverfield Lane, playing Harris and Dula. Fun fact, Ewan McGregor is married to Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh. So Harris and Dula is married to Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is all sorts of bizarre. (laughs) Uh, But we got to see them uh, on screen you know, they were there. The show looks awesome. It was also confirmed. There's been a lot of speculation about who's going to be playing Thrawn. Yeah. It's been officially confirmed that Lars Mikkelsen, 
related to Mads Mikkelsen, yes, uh, is going to be reprising the role of uh, Thrawn on screen. And I say reprise because he voiced him in the Rebels animated series. Super fucking excited. He was incredible in that series and goddamn the voice he does in that show. If you haven't seen it, go watch. Also of note, didn't see this coming, fucking left field in the trailer. At the end, we see a certain little droid who speaks uh, with a certain British accent. Uh, if you listen closely, you might recognize the voice. It's David Tennant. Yes. And the droid he's playing is Hu Yang, who made his appearance in season two or three. Could be even four. It's, it's not five, six, or seven. I know that. Uh, but he was a droid who along went on the journey to uh, Ilum, which eventually became Skywalker, or, uh, Starkiller Base, fun fact, uh, and was would help the Jedi younglings build their first lightsaber mm. i figured he didn't survive the purge because hey it's a droid and they probably killed everything but surprise surprise this story is obviously set after return of the jedi and it's in the mandalorian verse time of things so he survived which hey i'm all for more david Tennant in anything yeah this whole thing i this was my highlight from star wars celebration the, yeah. the, the big star wars convention yeah that they do every other year is it uh, no, well, it, it's, it's been off and on the last couple of years. They haven't done that obviously because of the pandemic. Uh, I think it is every other year because they, after once the, the thing, the convention almost forgot the word was over. They announced the next one's going to be in Japan in 2025. Yeah. So it's an every other year thing. Yeah. It's an every other year thing, but this is where these moments really build up. And for this show, which we had an idea ever since oh, yeah. Rosario Dawson made her appearance in the Disney plus shows, we knew that this was coming. This one delivered on a lot of excitement. Yeah. The Thrawn reveal has been something that the fans have been talking about. And that's why I said, like, it's a shame that the episode of the Mandalorian where he was announced came out after this announcement. Cause like yeah. I say, I think it would have been like huge if it didn't, but we had the reveal of, and, and the casting too, I think has been very, very overlooked Yeah, because I know that for whatever reason, Benedict Cumberbatch was attached to this role for like yeah, he eons. Was. Yeah, he was. Everyone predicted he'd be Thrawn. Yeah, but yeah. I, I love the casting. I'm not mad about that at all. I, I have to give credit to Diesel from 3FN. He did say, why don't we just call it Star Wars Rebels already? Yeah, and just, and just call it a day. I mean, essentially, it is Rebels season four. Yeah, but uh, let's let's face it, it's it's Rebels season four. But yeah, but this I, I gotta say, this was my highlight of Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, uh, they also announced some of the director, the directors who will be directing the series. Obviously, Dave Filoni, because duh. Yeah, he'll be directing some of the episodes. Also announced Steph uh, Green, Peter Ramsey, Jennifer Getzinger, uh, Gita Patel, and Rick uh, Famuyiwa, who you might know directed uh, will direct the season finale and the most recent episode of the. Mandalorian. He's also directed a couple bunch of other episodes in The Mandalorian. Mm. Was a brief appearance from Mandalorian. Pedro Pascal not there. He did uh, put up, give a short video message thanking fans for their love and support. Giancarlo Esposito, Katie Sackhoff, and Dave Filoni were there. Nothing really said about the future of the show. They were just kind of talking about how the season's gone. They did uh, talk about how much joy it brought them about the reception Ahmed Best got for his appearance in one of the more recent Hell episodes. Hell yeah. Uh, so that was awesome. Uh, they the accolade the upcoming series set in I believe it's the High Republic era. So this is uh, before the Phantom Menace, but uh, but after 
the Dawn of the Jedi stuff, so it's kind of in that time period. Uh, this one looks is super interesting because uh, showrunner uh, Leslie Highland's initial pitch, and I'm reading from the article, quote, initial pitch to Lucas from President Kathleen Kennedy might seal the deal. The showrunner said that she described her vision for the series, which is set in the High Republic era, as Frozen meets Kill Bill, close quote. That's a wild comparison. Uh-huh. Uh, so the article goes on to say, Headland also noted that the series will focus on the dark side of the Force at a time when it is it was at its weakest. Quote, this is when the bad guys are outnumbered, Headland said. They are the underdog. Uh, so the cast came out, uh, including Amanda Steinberg, Lee Jung-Jae, Manny Jankito, Daphne Keene, Charlie Bennett, Jody Turner-Smith, Rebecca Henderson, Dean Charles Chapman, and Junis uh, Sutamo. Uh, and then Headland announced that the series will premiere on Disney Plus in 2024. Uh, and then also shared footage that might have shown Carrie Ann Moss using some uh, Force powers. Because mm. Carrie Ann Moss is in this show as mm. well. Uh-huh. Uh, so this looks super interesting. This is the one I'm most intriguing for because it's set in a time period. Like like I said, it's like 300 years before The Phantom Menace. So it's in that time period where like... Okay, if you show Yoda, you know Yoda's not going to die because Yoda ends up being... Which, side note, to the article I saw this week that goes, Yoda died in Return of the Jedi, but why? Motherfucker, he was 900 years old. Yeah. Yeah, like, as he says in the movie, when 900 years old you reach, not as good you will look. Yeah. So, so, tangent tangent over. But (laughs) Yoda does appear in some of the comics and does appear in some of the comics because hey it's 300 years he was almost 900 when he died so unless yoda shows up it's a wide open board for what happens in this series there's nobody in there that like oh hey well because this character shows up in one of the future movies that we know they got a man no this is so far in the past it's a wide open playbook and that's why i'm super excited for this series it's going to be interesting to see where they go. Mm-hmm. And like we saw with House of the Dragon <laughs> for Game of Thrones, like you can do a prequel right, or you can enter some other shows that really missed the mark. Mm-hmm. I think with this, though, if they stay away from Yoda for the most part, I think it, there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, This could go wrong, though. Like I think this is probably the biggest risk they can run because it is uncharted territory. And you don't know how the pop culture fans are going to react. I think the diehard fans like yourself are going to be really into this. Oh, sure. But I think like for a good majority of the audience now, right? it might take a while to connect with. It might be, especially since if even if you don't read the comics, just look up on Google Image Search, Star Wars The High Republic Jedi outfit. Yeah. It, they don't look like how they do, as you might be used to from the prequels or anything else you've ever seen. So I think aesthetically it might be a little bit of a shock, but I think it's also going to be, if you give it time, because like I've said multiple times on this show, the high Republic storytelling is some of the best storytelling they've done period. Yeah. You know, outside of stuff down done by Dave Filoni, mm-hmm. you know, but just in, in some of the recent stuff, it's been so good. So in, in intriguing and it's kept me on the edge of my seat i literally i literally like put on my wish list and and a reminder when the next book's going to come out because i don't want to miss it yeah you know i'm reading the adult series stuff i'm reading the ya stuff the young adult stuff because it's just as good as the adult stuff Mm. it's it's i was at a point with star wars books i'm like all right pick and choose if if the subject matter the main character is something i'm interested in i might give no this it's got me back to reading everything that comes out for it so that's why I say this show is going to be potentially very interesting. 
Uh, they also brought up some stuff about the Andor series, which of course we know is getting a season two. Uh, you did have uh, Diego Luna was there. Diego Luna was there. Also, you had uh, Tony Gilroy who announced uh, that the cast and crew uh, are already halfway through filming season two, which is awesome to hear. Uh, and there's a tentative release date of August of next year, which yeah, that makes sense. That yeah, makes sense. They're not done filming. They got to do post production, post production work, maybe some reshoots or whatever. Uh, they did show a short snippet of footage though from the upcoming season, which obviously we saw more of Cassian, Mon Mothma, and then uh, Cyril Karn. So super excited for this, and and I think they did confirm when season one was announced, and they said, "Yeah, we're going to do two seasons." That uh, Cassian's droid from Rogue One will finally appear in season two. So, well, I mean, it makes most sense. Yeah, so we will see that. Uh, super excited for season two. Uh, season one, once it got going. Season uh, se- once it got going is the key phrase yeah, there. Once it got going. Uh, then they also talked about Skeleton Crew, the upcoming show starring Jude Law. Yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah, so Jude Law is getting his own Star Wars uh, show titled Skeleton Crew. It's de- uh, developed by Chris Ford and the director of Spider-Man No Way Home, John Watts. Uh, it takes place in the same time frame as Ahsoka and the Mandalorian. Uh, and as the article on entertainmentweekly.com reads, quote, A young group of adventurers will attempt to find their way back home after getting lost. It's a wide galaxy, Filoni explained. It's more dangerous than you think. The show, which is already in post-production, sees Watts, David Lowry, The Daniels, Jake Schreier, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Lee Isaac Chung all serve as directors. A snippet from the event was show, showed Law playing a Jedi who showed off his connection to the Force by floating a key into his hand. Law attended the event alongside his co-stars Ravi Cabot Conyers, uh, Kiriana Crater, and Robert Timothy Smith. Uh, and then also Ryan, Ryan Kira Armstrong, who will also star in the series, was unable to join her fellow cast crewmates on, uh, on stage due to illness. Uh, so this looks this looks interesting. And this, this is, I think, it's got some potential, especially since Jude Law is attached. Yeah, he's definitely going to bring some star power there. Yeah. I mean, much in the same vein as Pedro Pascal. Yeah. I mean, Jude Law is a big Hollywood star. So mm-hmm. seeing him attach this, I mean, it's an interesting idea and concept. So, yeah. you know, seeing how... He's going to factor in. Like I say, whenever you see somebody big from Hollywood coming into Star Wars, yeah. that's the concept that I talk about. Because yeah. obviously, you know that they come in with a fan base built in. And now to see what he's going to do, mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be some, I think it's going to be a big hit. Yeah, uh, They did talk a little bit about the upcoming Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny trailer. Nothing really much for a movie. Not really much from this because, hey, the movie comes out in like two months. Yeah. So they, the new trailer, final trailer came out. I got to admit, I'm getting more and more excited for this movie. I was kind of on the fence about it after the last one. Yeah. But the, the more I see this trailer and the more I'm excited about this. And I think it's got some potential. We'll see. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen in it being in it as the villain doesn't hurt at all. No, that's a big win. <laughs> that's a huge win. Yeah, it is. Let's, let's be honest about the, that. The man's been in James Bond, Marvel, Star Wars, Indiana Jones. The, the list of franchises he hasn't been with is getting short. Right. Uh, back to the Star Wars television series, though, we did get a trailer for the upcoming Visions Volume 2, uh, which super fucking excited for this. Not really a release date. Or no, excuse me. This is coming out on what date? May the 4th. Yes, it is. Uh, so Volume 2 coming out. It's going to be in that same style with a bunch of animation studios, this time from around the world, uh, doing their own stories. Super excited for this. Uh, if, if you haven't seen uh, Visions Volume 1, go give give Go do yourself a favor and watch it. Visions is fun. Yeah. Like, that's the takeaway from it. Like, you shouldn't go in with, like, you know, earth-shattering timeline yeah. factoring stuff. It's just a fun <laughs> series. And, like, I, I respect that they go into different variations with it. Right. And really just have some fun with it. 
Cause there is just something for everybody there. And like I say, it depends on what you're looking for. Like I said, for me, I look for stuff that's different. Mm-hmm. I always like to see something that's not afraid to go outside the box a little bit. Visions plays right into that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then lastly, for the Star Wars television series, it was announced that the the Bad Batch will be getting a third and final season. No release date yet on when it's coming out. Uh, there was a uh, teaser that was shown to f- attendees, which isn't online, but according to the description on the Entertainment Weekly article, quote, the teaser features Emperor Palpatine, of course, voiced by Ian McDiarmid, yep. uh, securing the Imperial cloning facility on Mount Tantus. Uh, the elite clone troopers of the Bad Batch, meanwhile, swear to rescue their teammate, uh, Omega after she was captured at the end of season two. Uh, the teaser also teased the return of bounty hunter Fennec Shan. Let's go. Played by Ming-Na Wen. Love that. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, season two. If you haven't seen it, fucking phenomenal season. Season two has been on point. I know we haven't talked about it lately, but. Fucking ripped my goddamn heart out with those final two episodes. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, but that was kind of the major stuff announced with the Star Wars television and movie stuff. Super, so super excited. So if you had to give a gold, silver, bronze, what are you giving it to? I'm giving, uh, I'm going to give a gold to Ahsoka. Yeah, I agree. Because I'm super excited for that. It's Rebels season four. I loved everything about Rebels. I'm going to give a silver to uh, Andor because I think that's got some potential. And just given what they've got to do to get it to that point with Rogue One, I'm very interested to see happen because there's still a lot they can fill in. Okay. And then on bronze, I'm going to say Skeleton Crew. Because I, I think that's got that's got the almost, I don't know what the hell's going to happen with that. Yeah. That like, I, But I'm interested because Jude Law's a Jedi. Yeah, like that I agree with you about. I think Skeleton Crew, the idea behind it, I think, like I say, it's it's got the most potential. Mm-hmm. I really think that it's. It, I'm not saying like it's, it's going to be like the accolade, which I mean that's uncharted water, so we don't know. I want to say that's like the most potential, right? Because I think with Skeleton Group, you already know what Jude Law is going to bring to the table, so mm-hmm. that plays a big role into it. But I have to agree. I think that's the same. I have for yeah. my gold, my one, two, three, right yeah. there. Uh, and then switching over, we have some uh, HBO Max. Or I'm sorry. Max. Max News. Max News. Get it right. Yes. Uh, because there was a presentation put out literally today as we record. Yes. About the flagship streamer and what the hell's going to happen once it, because Discovery bought Warner Brothers. Now it's Warner Brothers Discovery. What's going to happen with HBO Max? What's going to happen with Discovery Plus? So we're going to try and weed you through the weeds a little bit and help you out. Uh, so essentially what's going to happen is it looks like if you're on HBO max, you're going to be fine. Things are just going to switch over. you're going to get a rebrand. You're going to see a whole bunch of stuff get added to the discovery aspect of things. So the food network, the HGTV, the TLCs discovery channel, all that stuff's going to get added to it. But the stuff, you know, and love hopefully won't get cut from, the, the the streamer and I say hopefully because there have been stuff in the past that has been cut from the show yeah that's, so, you know yeah, ap- entire seasons of Looney Tunes entire seasons of Flintstones for what reason Ken reasons, reasons. so hopefully nothing gets cut but we'll see uh, so there were three uh, tiers announced for the suit for the uh, streamer uh, the first two of which are ones you already know and if you are on these tiers nothing will change uh, the first of which is the max ad light version. This goes for $9.99 a month or $99.99 a year. This will give you two concurrent streams so you and somebody else who has your password can watch at the same time. 1080p HD resolution, no 
offline downloads and 5.1 surround sound quality. Then there's the max ad free version, which is $15.99 a month or $149.99 a year, which gives you also two concurrent streams, 1080p HD, up to 30 offline downloads and 5.1 surround sound quality. And the new tier they've added is the max ultimate ad free version. This goes for $19.99 a month or $199.99 a year. Gives you four concurrent streams, up to 4K Ultra HD resolution, 100 offline downloads, and Dolby Atmos sound quality. So basically what's going to happen is the new tier is getting added. The 4K streams are going to be going up a tier. And if you're at the, the mid-tier, you're just going to get 1080p, which ultimately I don't think a lot of people are going to notice or care. Yeah. Reasons. Uh, all The article, and I'm reading from an article on Variety.com, goes on to say, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery in January hiked the price of HBO Max without ads from $14.99 to $15.99 per month in the U.S., while the ad-supported plans stayed at $9.99. Uh, Max Ultimate Tier will have an expanded catalog of content available in 4K Ultra HD, including from franchises such as Game of Thrones, Last of Us, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Dark Knight Trilogy, and more. Uh, and then we should note that, hey, what the hell happens to you uh, if you're already a subscriber? Uh, so reading from another article on the on Variety.com, it says, quote, uh, otherwise HBO Max customers will see uh, mainly see a boatload of new content and enhanced features in Max, which is adding programming from Discovery brands like HGTV, Discovery Channel, and Food Network. Warner Brothers Discovery said existing HBO Max subscribers will have access to Max at the same price as their HBO Max subscriptions. So $15.99 a month without ads or the $9.99 with ads. Mm -hmm. However, the regular Max ad-free tier will offer two concurrent streams, whereas HBO Max has offered up to three. The Max Ultimate ad plan free will offer up to four simultaneous streams. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery said it expects Max will be available on the same devices as HBO Max. Uh, additionally, HBO Max subscribers will still have access to their current plan features for a minimum of six months following the launch of Max. HBO Max subscribers profiles, settings, watch history, continue watching, and my list items will also migrate to Max so they can pick up streaming right where they left off. If you get HBO with your cable or satellite TV package, you may have access to Max at no extra cost, according to Warner Brothers Discovery. The company is listing which pay TV providers will support Max at this time. Right now, the site doesn't, uh, they have a site which doesn't indicate which tier will be available to cable and satellite customers. Distribution partners currently lined up to offer Max are AT&T, Cox, COX, mm. Cricket, DirecTV, Dish, Hulu, Altice USA's Optimum, Amazon Prime Video Channels, Charters Spectrum, Verizon and Comcast Xfinity. Uh, so that, that looks to be kind of how things are going for that. Uh, so I think the big thing is I know I get it currently through my parents' uh, cable subscription. So that'll be the interesting thing to see what they do with it going forward, like which tier you get it through. I hope it stays at the because the one we're currently at is the fifteen ninety nine. Yeah. What would be the fifteen ninety nine one? Uh, I hope it stays at that version. I hope it doesn't go down because that would suck. Yeah, like I 
See, mine's a little tricky because I have both Discovery and HBO. So like how that, you, that'll be yes. Yeah, so I'll say my mom has Discovery Plus. I don't know what they're gonna do for that. Yeah, see, I, that's why I'm wondering are they gonna just merge it all into one and then bump it up? Which I mean, if they do, they do. <laughs> so right. that is interesting. We should also note that the release date is set to be on two in the U.S. on Tuesday, May 23rd. Well, they're hitting the ground running with that. Yeah, well, yeah, I, that's a relatively short amount of time. Well, given how much money has been sunk into this deal, they need to. Yeah. Uh, and also, we have to know that during this, we found out some of the things they're doing or planning for Max upcoming. Uh, of one of which was the rumored and kind of sort of, sort of confirmed, but officially confirmed, decade long Harry Potter series. Uh, yeah. Which is which is coming to Max. Uh, so they officially, this reading from an article on TheVerge.com says, quote, Warner Brothers Discovery is officially working on a Harry Potter series for its new streaming service, Max. The series was recently rumored to be in development, and now we know that it's officially on the way. In a press release, the company says it will be a decade-long series produced with the same epic craft, love, and care this global franchise is known for. The show will have a new cast playing the series, iconic characters, and Warner Brothers Discovery promises that each season will be authentic to the original books. The original movies will still be available to watch globally, even with this new show in development, close quote. So, not entirely surprised this is coming. I mean, listen, the movies made a shit ton of money over the, over the 10 years they were being released in theaters. The spinoff series, uh, Fantastic Beasts, not so much as the movies went on. Right. They they planned five. They did three, and that looks it appears to be dead in the water. There's been a rumored uh, eighth movie, or no, this would be ninth movie, based off of the Broadway play. Right, 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 right. That they want to get the original cast back for, but they the cast does not seem you know with with Rupert, Emma, yeah, they're out, and Daniel don't seem interested in doing it at all. Yeah, so that's off the table. So hey, we still got the franchise. We might as well reboot it. And I know fans have wanted to see a TV series for the longest time. It'll be interesting to see where they go because they say it's going to be faithful adaptation to the original. Uh, you know, each season will be authentic to the original books. Mm-hmm. How authentic are we talking? Are we talking like very little is going to get cut unlike the movies? Which, hey, listen, I know some people get upset about that. I understand it because the fifth book is like 700 freaking pages. Yeah. If you were to adapt the book word for word or, or event for event from page to the big screen, the movie would be like five hours. Yeah. You're not able to do it. People aren't going to want to sit for a five-hour movie. Now, it's going to be a long season. I'll fucking tell you that right now if they keep it faithful to the to the book. Right. I'm all for it. I'm interested. I'm going to be giving it a shot, obviously. I still love the movies for what they were. I mean, I grew up on them. I, I got excited to see them. I went to see all of them with my parents and my siblings. Mm. You know, they're still going to be there. They're still going to be a part of my childhood and part of my life. I'm still going to watch them. I'm in- interested to see what they do with this, though, just because the bu- the budget, I imagine, they're going to be willing to give this friend. This series is going to be astronomical. It should be. I just don't know if they should go to the well. It is a little soon. That That's, yeah, I... I hope it does well, but I just got this feeling this could be a miss, <laughs> just for reasons. We'll see. Yeah, so I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but we'll see. yeah, I, I think it's just a little too much too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, also announced was Rick and Morty's getting the anime treatment. Uh, so mm. reading from The Verge, it says, quote, "Adult Rick and Morty getting the anime treatment later this year. Uh, Adult Swim and Warner Brothers have yet to announce who will be taking over voicing duties for Rick and Morty's ep- eponymous duo following Justin Roiland's ouster earlier this year. 
But tucked in today, today's Big Max presentation was the tiniest mention of Rick and Morty, the anime, suggesting we'll be hearing some new voices by the year's end. Because all their announcement literally says is same faces, different places. Rick and Morty, the anime, is coming this year to Max and Adult Swim. Uh, and if you look at the photo, it literally looks like Rick and Morty, but anime version. So we'll see. Yeah, like I say, it's, it is what it is. Like yeah. th- that one didn't really move a needle for yeah. me. Uh, we did get scrolling down a little bit. Uh, we did get a trailer uh, or first teaser for the upcoming Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai uh, premiering on May 23rd. Uh, not sure how I feel about this. I, I love Gremlins 1. I'm with you. Gremlins 2. It's, it's, it's there. Secrets of the Mogwai. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, not super amped for it, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I'm with you, Pat. I'm, I'm, that's my statement exactly. Yeah. Uh, also announced is we got a tr- teaser trailer for the upcoming new season of True Detective. This uh, looked good. T- uh, this one titled The True Detective Night Country uh, it is the fourth season, and this time it's heading to Alaska. Uh, the r- article on TheVerge.com says, quote, In its fourth season, True Detective's heading to Alaska to tell the story of how six men vanished from a research lab in the Arctic. While the premise alone is compelling as hell, it doesn't quite capture raw energy Jodie Foster is radiating in the season's new teaser trailer. This looks fucking nuts because it takes place in a part of Alaska where for God knows how many parts of the year, the sun don't come up. Right. So it's literally night country because it's dark as fuck. So I can already hear people's reaction. The show's good, but I can't see anything. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Jodie Foster's in this and it lo- the trailer looked really good. Yeah. Like... More closer to True Detective Season 1 than not. Right. So that's kind of my gauge with this, but right. I'm definitely going to try watching that first first shot out. Ken, we know we're loving House of the Dragon. How do you feel about another prequel coming along? You know, if it's this good, I'm okay with it. Uh, another Game of Thrones prequel was announced, and this, t- this one is titled A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight. Uh, and reading from the article on The Verge, it says, quote, The Game of Thrones franchise is getting a new entry on Warner Brother Discovery's newly announced Max streaming service. The new prequel, called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight, has been rumored for some time, but it wasn't clear which part of the ample Game of Thrones lore it would borrow from. At today's HBO Max rebranding event, HBO head Casey Bloys confirmed that the new show has been ordered straight to series and would focus on Dunk and Egg. In the world of Game of Thrones, Dunk is a famous knight and Egg is his squire, both of whom travel the land righting wrongs. So well, it could be it could be something interesting. Yeah, I, I got to see something first before I make a judgment. Like sure. I said, House of Dragon was a very big surprise. Mm-hmm. But then again, you have Matt Smith. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So show me what you got. And then we got an early teaser trailer for, a, or excuse me, an in-production teaser for the upcoming series from Matt Reeves in DC and the Batman in penguin looked awesome oh my god this looks incredible yeah i'm in i'm in i i listen you didn't need to convince me on this because you know oswald cobblepot in in the matt reeves film was fucking incredible it this this show's gonna be amazing i i needed no convincing yeah all it just needs is a cool soundtrack and i'm in yes like i'm just like this all right take my money now Mm -hmm. i just needed like some kind of cool soundtrack because i know off air we were talking you got Sopranos vibes from this? I did. I got a, I got a little bit of Sopranos vibes from the trailer. Like, now watching that, I put the theme music to that in my head, and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm in. I'm yeah. so in. Yes. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not leastly, show I grew up on that is coming back to HBO, or excuse me, Max. God, that's going to be so confusing to say. Tiny Toon Adventures, which was oh. kind of like the, the sequel series, yep, yep, the, yep. The, new, so, the new generation of... Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes, yeah, which I loved growing up as a kid. Fantastic. Uh 
if you don't believe me, go look up the tune. They might be giants, tiny tunes, and you'll get a taste of why that show was so fucking good. Yeah. Super excited for that. But that was kind of the main stuff announced uh, with for Max coming uh, in May. This will be interesting to see. Obviously, streaming is, is still big business no matter what. So to see this re-up, I just hope it's really worth the money. Yeah. And some of the projects that were announced, I think, are really are. The, like, the Penguin was, is, oh. is absolutely on fire. Uh, this week, I be- or next week, I believe, is when Titans comes back for the end half of their final season yes. as well. Doom Patrol is coming shortly thereafter, I would assume. And, like, for what we usually talk about on the show, I think there's a lot of stuff that we can be excited about. I'm just interesting to see how all these tiers play out. Like, mm-hmm. that's my big thing. Yeah. Because anytime you're merging, especially two streaming services into one, like, yeah. what are we going to get? Are we going to have problems the first day? Probably. You know, so I'm just more ex- excited to see some of the projects coming. And I just hope that, you know, this is a good win for the consumers. Because, yeah. like I say, there's a lot of options out there right now. So you got to yeah. really make it worth the time. Going to be interesting to see. Yep. So that being said, I believe it is comic recommendation times to take us home, Pat. So what you got? Yeah. So uh, first of which I got to mention is from the, uh, all three of the ones I have are uh, two of them are from Marvel. Uh, first of which is Captain America Cold War Alpha issue number one, uh, which the description on this reads, the revolution starts here. Cold War part one. Bucky Barnes is the outer circle's new revolution, and he has enacted his deadliest move yet. An alliance with Sam Wilson's nemesis, the White Wolf. When Steve Rogers' adopted son, Ian, a.k.a. Nomad, is abducted by someone Steve thought was a friend, he suspects Bucky's hand at work and calls upon the people who know Ian best, Sam Wilson, Sharon Carter, and Misty Knight, to help him get to the bottom of the attack. Has Bucky finally gone too far? Why has Nomad been taken? And what does this have to do with a portal to Dimension Z opening over a secret battleground in Alaska? The symbol of truth and the sentinel of liberty reunite for a pulse-pounding crossover event that will make them question everything they believe in and each other. I can't wait to check this crossover out. I, this is going to be amazing. This is I went to the panel for this in New York Comic Con last year. You're right. And the buzz coming out of this, this is a real deal. Like The Captain America books right now mm-hmm. are absolutely on point. So we'll definitely have to be talking about this as the issues yes. are coming out. So super excited this is coming. Uh, also from Marvel, uh, Star Wars The High Republic, issue number eight. This one from Kevin Scott. Uh, Terror on the Dunes of Blood. One Jedi lies dying in Jeddah's frozen desert, and another is missing. Can v- uh, Vildar, Maddie, and Tay escape the Siege of Enlightenment in time to save them both? All the time, the leveler... Uh, all, the, all the time, the leveler waits in the shadows, desperate to feed. Plus, the identities of the mysterious raiders are revealed. It's Kevin Scott. Can't go wrong. It's Star Wars uh, High Republic. It's super fun to read. And lastly... We've got a new 007 comic coming out. Oh, hey, now. James Bond for King and Country, issue number one. This one written by Philip K. Johnson. Uh, on, uh, I want to say it's the 70th anniversary of like, the James Bond books, I think. Yes, I think you're correct. Yeah, so the 70th anniversary of the James Bond books coming out. we got a new James Bond comic. Uh, this one, description reads, quote, An all-new nail-biting Bond mission from superstar Philip Kennedy Johnson, who you might know from Action Comics. Yes. And uh, Gregorio Spletta, who you might know from Red Sonja. Accused of murder on British soil, James Bond has been branded a traitor by his own government. As M sends the entire 00 division after 007, Bond must go underground with only one ally, Gwendolyn Gann, 003, another traitor, presumed dead, secretly on a clandestine mission with global implications. This sounds fucking incredible. If you haven't checked out the James Bond comics, highly recommend you do. There's some fantastic writing with those. Uh, And the fact that Philip Johnson is writing this... 
I'm all in. Yeah, no, he's awesome. Like his work is really, really good. So this is definitely worth the time checking out. I believe that's coming out from Dynamite <laughs> yes. Entertainment. So yes. that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on for. Uh, for my picks this week, uh, Marvel is bringing back the Guardians of the Galaxy. No real shocker here. We've heard about this. I believe this is the start of the Grootfall storyline. So Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, you know them from Captain America and a few other books. Uh, they're a dynamic duo of writing. They are going to definitely make something really crazy happen here. Kev Walker is on the art duty. And to read the description from Marvel.com, one year ago, the Guardians of the Galaxy were destroyed, their optimistic future shattered by the betrayal of one of their own. Now they ride the space lanes of a lawless corner of the galaxy trying to outrun the tragedy. Can they rediscover their heroism and humanity on the bleak frontier? Or can they forgive the failures of their past, or will they fade into the dark eternally unforgiven? So I'm super excited to check this out. Like it, it has a cool space Western vibe to it from the cover. So I definitely need to go check this out. And obviously with uh, Lansing and Kelly writing, I am definitely all in on that. Uh, Parlay points picks this week, though. This was a stacked week at the at the shop. I'm not going to lie. Comixology Originals had some absolutely fantastic picks. Retroverse number five is out, and Edge World, you know, continuing their latest series. Those are two books to pick up. Um, I know they're uh, Retroverse is at the end, so that's the series finale. Edge World is at the penultimate for the season, so you definitely want to make sure you check those out. But returning is a series called Breaklands, Pad. Okay. Uh, Justin Jordan. Uh, I apologize if I messed this name up, Tyaseta. Uh, and they're bringing this whole like futuristic. Um, the comparison that was in the description from Amazon was Mad Max meets Akira. Hmm. And that's the easiest way to describe it. It's like this futuristic punk battling superhero esque world, so to speak. Everybody's got powers. And there's two individuals that are either going to make or break the world. Mm-hmm. And now there's like warring factions trying to secure them. It's it's a really interesting book. Like the first time I picked it up. And I got to say, the art is definitely a little crazy. I'm showing Pad right now. Ooh, interesting. So it's definitely got a, a unique vibe to it. And I think this is going to be one to check out. Like if you're looking for something really different at the shops. This is season three. So the two seasons uh, prior are out right now. And now going into, I believe it's going to be the, the series finale. All bets are off, but they definitely hit the strong notes. And like I said, for me jumping in for the first time, I had a lot to really pick in and go, okay, I kind of have this all figured out of where I think we're going. And they definitely pick, they, they hit the ground running and they don't stop. So it's something to definitely keep an eye out for. From Dark Horse Comics, Mr. Mammoth. Uh, it's an original graphic novel by Matt Kent and John Dennis Pendex. Uh, this one is a wild story. Really interesting uh, one about the world's greatest detective mm-hmm. and a case he cannot solve Ooh, on his own. Interesting. So he, it's a real psychological thriller. I really enjoyed this. It threw me for a curveball about where it was going in the storyline. So this is one I definitely highly recommend picking up by Dark Horse Comics via Flux House. Uh, this is something that if you really like a good crime story, a good mystery this is up your alley because, like I say, the ending really blew me away. Super excited about this one. Uh, from Image Comics and Black Market Narrative, Radiant Black 23. Holy smokes, Pad. Yeah. We're going to the Catalyst War, and I think we hit the ground running. Kyle Higgins, Eduardo Figueroa, uh, really established things in a hurry. Uh, as they say uh, in wrestling, business picked up. 
<laughs> I'd say. And things just really go crazy about midway through this issue, going right into where the ending is. And longtime Radiant Black fans are going to be freaking out about where we're heading to. I'm just going to put it out there, but it's a fantastic issue. I give it one of my highest recommendations this week. So you definitely need to talk about that uh, at the comic shops. You definitely need to go pick up those issues. And obviously heading into a big summer, Supermassive 2 is coming. Catalyst War, no one is picking up steam. Obviously, Issue 2 is going to be dropping. A lot of good things happening for that camp, so you definitely want to stay tuned uh, to what is coming out from them because, seriously, some of the best books on the line. Comics' most exciting line. It's not even close. Also from Image Comics, Black Cloak Number 4, Kelly Thompson and Meredith McLaren's uh, fantasy mystery murder series is going on. Really... A wild story is getting played out here, but it's one that's got some big reveals. We finally get some payoffs to some threads that have been going on for a little bit. And the cliffhanger ending on this one definitely threw me for a loop. So I'm super excited about where the story is going. It's always in my pull list. I think this is just awesome work that they do each time out. Also, Image Comics, Phantom Road, number two, Jeff Lemire, Gabriel Walta. Uh, This story is just crazy. Uh, It's about a trucker who... Uh, is trying to help somebody that's involved in a car accident. There's a mysterious object that when he comes near, there's a flash and they're in a different world and it is just out there. It's a really dope story though. I can't put that over enough. It is one that I think everybody should check out. Like I said, they're just on issue two. So there's a lot of things happening here. You definitely want to jump on board now because I really feel this is going to be picking up steam uh, really, really quick. And like I say, it's a dope story and it's only begun to scratch the surface and I... I had to do a couple of rereads of it because it's just that damn good. So Image Comics had a very strong three this week from me, at least. But that's not even counting. Uh, Stoneheart number two came out. Monarch number three. There was a lot of great Image books, but you know there's only so much time in the day. But I definitely want to plug those as well. And then the last one I had picked out, The Seasons Have Teeth, number one. Dan Waters and Sebastian uh, Cabral. This is a different book, Pad. Okay. This is one about a photographer who's gone through like some tragedy in his life, and we're just kind of finding out about it. But he's chasing after this like perfect photo, so to speak. And there's something going on that he's chasing in like battling his own demons. And I don't want to give away what he sees at the end here, but it threw me for a loop. I'm not sure where we're going with this story, but it was a very solid issue, and definitely piqued my interest going into the next issue. So definitely cool stuff coming out from boom studios. Definitely. If you are heading to the comic shops, hit us up and let us know what you're picking up. And also shouting out all our favorite independent podcasts that are covering comics each and every week. There's a lot of them out there. If you need recommendations, we'll always send you to them. They do some fantastic work, letting you know what to pick up at the comic shops each and every week. And definitely hit us up and let us know what you're reading too. Cause this also plays a point to go into the Patreons where we're going to be picking out like what we're going to be reviewing this month, Pat. And definitely want to give a quick plug out to Caption Life, Sean, our guy there. I was on his show this week, Pad. Hey. Talking Age of Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Which we have people asking, when is Pad picking this up? When is Pad going to talk about this on the show? So when I get my ominous mail to me, I will let you borrow it, and we'll have to get the Padawan J official approval of this storyline. So stay tuned for that, but definitely make sure you go check out the Caption Life on your favorite podcast provider. Sean is always a fantastic podcaster. Great dude all around, too. And it was very cool being on a show. And I can't wait to get back on. So, you know, if you like what you heard, definitely let him know, and uh, we'll make that happen. That being said, for everything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. 
That's it for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Shout out to Jeremy Runner, who is obviously making, yes. making the rounds on the press tour for his new show on Disney Plus, Runnervations. Considering what that man went through like less than six months ago, well, however long ago it was, the fact that he's up and walking, nothing short of astounding. So kudos to you, sir. Shout out to him. Absolutely. And everybody should go check that show out, too. I'm your host, Kenna. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.